Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. Hey, it is the last Tuesday of the year. Welcome to the Wise Guys. I'm Dave McCann with Blaine Fowler. Uh, we went on the air in May, and we've been here every Tuesday since. Some Sometimes we had to tape because we had broadcasts. Games, yeah. But uh, for the most part, uh, we've spent every Tuesday night together, and then, of course, the podcast and, and all that stuff, YouTube and Twitch. But uh, here we are in the last show uh, of our first year of many years. But we've had a lot of good guests do you have a favorite? Oh man, that's hard to to pick a favorite. Yeah, they, they've all been pretty good. I have some, like I love some of the really cool stories we heard dur- during this year, like yeah. unexpected, like, like like Mark Wilson. Oh yeah, Mark Wilson telling us a story that Max hadn't been Hall, told in, in, Ty Detmer. in forty years. Like everyone told us a, a cool story. My favorite story of the whole year might have been um, our 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 good friend. Who was flying De Lewis Porter? Yeah, who was flying yeah. his U two aircraft over the Amazon River Basin? <laughs> that was cool. And turned off the lights in the cabin and all the outside lights and just floated, floated in space. In space. Um, yeah, that's a good and, one. And and told us that if he ever had doubted there was a, a god, that it yeah. it confirmed to him that there was one that night as he floated with nothing but weightlessness and. That might be my favorite story of the whole year. There have been some amazing stories. Mark Pope's um, been here. Marie yeah. Osmond's been here. Gary Scheide uh, is going down the list. Uh, and we got Tim Lacombe here with us in just a bit, uh, right in the middle of Jimmer Mania. Actually, he was at the start, the middle, and the end of Jimmer Mania. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about that. And we encourage your questions and comments as the wise guys gets going on a huge week of football news. Uh, even... Just a couple of days removed from Christmas. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, and, and you have to start out with the biggest story in BYU football since the Big 12 announcement, right? Probably. Yeah. And that is that BYU quarterback Jaron Hall has decided to enter the NFL draft. I guess it's not a surprise. We kind of anticipated He just that. waited and waited and waited. Yeah. So then we thought, well, maybe he's thinking we, about... We thought because he, he didn't commit to the Senior Bowl like Puka Nakua had and that... It was taking longer than we thought that maybe he was having second thoughts and maybe they were putting together a better NIL deal for him and he was going to come back. So there were, were a few doubts, but I think all along we expected that he would declare for the NFL draft. And and what, what we also expected has happened with, uh, with Keaton Slovis coming in from Pitt. And we're going to talk about Slovis a lot here in just a few minutes because that's the new buzz yeah. around BYU football. Is Slovis, can he be the difference maker in the Big 12? Why him of all... Uh, the uh, options out there. And, and so we're going to have a big discussion on that here in just a couple of minutes. Men's basketball going to start their final run in the WCC. On Thursday, we'll look at uh, two players who've shown the most improvement over the 15 non-conference games. And then, of course, New Year's Eve. We're, uh, we're spending New Year's Eve with everybody on BYU TV with the Cougars and the Portland Pilots on Saturday night. That's right. Late, late night on, uh, on New Year's Eve, you and I. In the Marriott Center. With everybody, you know what? Plenty of time to come join us in the Marriott Center or watch it on, on, on BYU TV. 
and then still get to your New Year's Eve party yeah. and and plenty of time to ring in the new year because that game will be over by 9.15-ish. Right, that's 11.15 on the East Coast. So you even have time to get down to Times Square if, if yep. you want to. Yep. So, hey, former BYU assistant coach and uh, current jazz broadcaster Tim Lacombe, and we could say former U- University of Utah coach, but we we left we don't, off. We don't even say that, do we? <laughs> We can, we, we can ask him about that a little bit, but um, he's going to join us as the Cougars get ready to join the toughest basketball conference in America. Uh, plus, he had a front row seat from the beginning to the end of Germania. We're going to talk to him a lot about what that was like. To he's be, excited. I talked to him yeah. earlier today, and, and uh, he's, he's got some, some fun stuff. And we encourage your comments and questions, too. We all live through Germania. That's right. Uh, and it was a great time. And, and we'll talk about a few other things, too. BYU in the Big 12, how the Cougars stack up when it comes to the league's basketball and football venues. If it's just based on that, we're in great shape heading into the, into, uh, the world of, of P5s. Yeah, BYU's follow, following, whether it be in the stadiums themselves or in the in the Mary Center in the in the football stadium or on television is not they'll come into the league right at the top of the league especially if Oklahoma and Texas are out as quickly as we think they're going to be out yeah so they'll they'll dominate in that set so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that um, New Year's resolutions we're going to talk about those since this is the last Tuesday of the year uh, top ten most popular the five you should never make and then we'll have a few of our own. Yeah, you're going to have three for the I've BYU football team. I've got three. I love the five you should never make. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. We'll share that list with you. Uh, let's kick off the, the show with our headlines. Jaron Hall announcing before Christmas that he'll forego his final year of eligibility and enter the NFL draft. How should he be remembered by BYU fans? Yeah, I, I think that, that he should be remembered as not only somebody that was a tremendous leader on the field, but who was an unbelievable representative of BYU, the university, the church that sponsors the university, and his family and all of us off the field. He was, Jaron was a phenomenal leader, um, and he is an amazing human being. Um, and I think BYU fans should remember that. He's also a great playmaker. And he's the court of all the quarterbacks that have played at BYU, nobody has ever faced the competition that Jaron Hall faced. Nobody played the number of P5 schools that Jaron Hall had to play. I mean, basically, last year he played a Pac-12 schedule. And nobody beat as many P5 schools uh, as Jaron Hall in all of Cougardom. And you go down through all the big names. They yeah. just didn't have them on the schedule. No, they didn't. Have, I mean, and they may have fared just fine. You know, Jim McMahon or Steve Young, or certainly they went out and played in the NFL and were great players. Um, but but Jaron Hall had to do it in college. Nobody faced a schedule like he had to face, um, and and he came through and won a lot of big games against some big-time teams in some big-time venues. And we'll, and we'll talk about about that a little bit. But um, his career numbers, 6,174 yards passing, 52 touchdowns, just 11 interceptions, and 468 attempts. Think about that. You're, you're throwing against the defense. Uh, some of those defenses are better than others. But you throw 468 passes into a defense, and only 11 end up in the arms of a defender. Yeah, and, that's pretty good. And his touchdown to interception ratio is phenomenal. You know, you, I feel like young quarterbacks. You know, when you're playing as a sophomore, the goal should probably be two to one. I, I feel like as you kind of get more experience, three to one um, is not bad. Four to one is like outstanding. He's nearly five to one. Touchdowns, interceptions—that's unheard of. And he's done a good, as good a job. BYU this last two years with him at the helm, 
they don't turn the ball over. They've been one of the best teams in America at taking care of the football. They don't fumble it. He doesn't throw interceptions. So the, the offense doesn't put you in a bad position ever. Um, and B- he, he should be remembered for that, for the way he took care of the ball. BYU Sports Addict on our social uh, chain there. I just wish we could have really seen Jaron Hall through a full season. Didn't yeah. make it through a full season, which is the price you pay for being a dual-threat mobile quarterback no matter if you're in the NFL or, or in college, uh, when, you, when you run around, you get hurt. Sometimes when you just stay in the pocket, you get hurt. But, but the guys that get out, and, uh, and you look at his injuries, uh, the season ender with the high ankle sprain, whether it was a broken play or not, it ended up with him running the football. And, and he got hurt, and that's why we didn't see him in the bowl game. Just things like that seemed to dog him, uh, whether it was a concussion, a shoulder, a rib, an ankle. Yeah, and it was the shoulder thing that I, I'm still convinced that a healthy Jaron Hall wins two more games. They would they went on that four game slide, um, and he just wasn't healthy during that time. Some of the throws he couldn't make, he couldn't be as mobile. Aaron Hall had or uh, Aaron Roderick had to call plays yeah. um, where they didn't put him in a position to get hit, so you couldn't push the defense and make them respect him in the run game because they he, they just weren't going to run with him and. Uh, and so they lost a couple of games. I mean, the two that come top of them, I think they, I think they win the Notre Dame game with a, with a healthy Jaron Hall, and I think they win the um, the Liberty game with a healthy Jaron Hall. Um, and, and, and the um, Arkansas game could have been a shootout. Yeah, it could have been a shootout, more of a shootout. Um, and they, they certainly proved that, uh, that they're capable of giving up an, an enormous number of points and, and yards. And, and uh, East Carolina. So, yeah, two of those I, four for sure. I think you sure. win two of them for sure. And... and uh, he just he just wasn't right, and then when he got right and came back, they were really good again yeah. down the stretch. Um, and uh, and what they did in the bowl game without him that's for another night. But did a phenomenal job with the game plan for for a single game. The way they they rallied around the run game on offense and really stepped up on D. But he a healthy. I, I'm with you, um, BYU sports addict. A, a healthy Jaron Hall through a full season we have never seen. And and frankly, that's that's one of the questions. Um, that is going to be asked by scouts and executives and GMs as they look to where they're going to draft Jaron Hall. I read an article uh, tonight by a former uh, NFL scout who said he'd take uh, Jaron Hall in the second round. Sized up all his pros and cons and things he's accomplished and leadership and all that stuff. And he'd go, uh, don't see him in the first round. I'd take him in the second round. Uh, well, yeah, that you absolutely go if you're going to be a second rounder. Yeah, for that, sure. That seemed really you, high, hey, but that was his you, opinion. You absolutely go for your third rounder. Yeah. And and honestly, the only the only question about Jaron is can he stay healthy? Because when you look at his mechanics, um, he's nearly flawless. Like he's got beautiful mechanics. He's got great feet. Um, his his arm strength is big time NFL arm strength. He can make every throw. Um, he's got a compact, quick release. Um, he he really is a very very polished technician at quarterback and you know we pointed out that touchdown interception ratio the way he takes care of the ball so he's a very good decision maker um his leadership is unquestioned and so all of the things you want in a quarterback he's got you wish he was a little bigger maybe yeah like, he's barely six one but there's not there's not a bunch of josh allen's out there no. like if no, you could, there aren't any if you had his <laughs> exact skill set and he was six five two thirty and didn't ever get hurt He'd be the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, he, yeah. he literally, with his skill set at Josh Allen's size, would be the number one pick in the draft. 
Um, and and had he never been hurt, right? So maybe at Josh Allen's size, he wouldn't have ever gotten hurt. And so, so that's literally the only question. And and they have to weigh that and say, like, what kind of team do we have to put around him? Um, can we keep him healthy? Can we keep him upright? What do we need him to do? Uh, and so, and anyone who's uh, spent two years knocking on doors uh, as a teenager, as on a mission, can do anything. Right. And he can go into that setting no matter what and execute a game plan. Um, and we've learned with Zach Wilson that so much is uh, about who's around you. Yeah, and if my, no like, one's around you, good luck. My, my New Year's resolution for Zach Wilson is that he gets out of that ridiculously horrific organization called the New York Jets. Yeah. And, and he goes someplace where he's like, if he was at the San Francisco 49ers right now, playing for them with the players they have around him and the way they play defense, he'd be great. We'd be talking about what an unbelievable season. But he's, but he's with the Jets. They're really limited offensively. They're, they're pretty solid on defense. But but it's it's like... And their coaching staff's all over the place. They don't the, know how the, to handle the prob- any PR The problem stuff. with the Jets is they're just known for grinding quarterbacks into the ground. Yeah. They've had a lot of good guys come through there that could never do it. And I feel bad for Zach. And then the fan base turns on you. If, if you throw one pick, yeah. you're out. Yeah, they're nuts. So. I'd like to see him. Uh, and he doesn't have to be a starter. He can still be a starter. The fact that you're not a starter right now, but you have a job in the NFL, doesn't make you a failure. It makes you elite, elite, elite. Yeah, right? think about everyone who can't get into the NFL. Yeah. And, uh, I still want to get in. Because so we'll, we'll it pays see. better than this. It does pay better than this. So. We'll see what uh, what's ahead for Zach and for, for Hall. And we're going to talk about Slovis in just a minute. But uh, what are your favorite moments with Jaron Hall? Share them with us at Twitch and, and on YouTube and, and YSGuys.com. Uh, and we'll share them with everybody. Or just talk amongst yourselves as you listen to the podcast. Favorite moments for, for Jaron Hall. I think the, number one for me jumps off the page of beating uh, Utah after having not defeated them since 2009, the way he beat them, yeah, they, and the they, fact that the day before was the invitation for the Big 12. It was literally the biggest two days in the history of BYU football. Yeah, and he, um, he managed that game so well, and, and the defense played lights out, and they pushed Utah around. Kyle Whittingham even admitted they pushed Utah around, which nobody does to Utah, and that 26-17 victory was a big deal. And And... It was a big deal for a couple of reasons. BYU was going to the Big Twelve. Um, both, you know, those two teams aren't going to be on the schedule regularly um, moving forward. Like, hopefully, semi regularly or every two or hopefully. three years. But, but it's not like it's been. And so, that game was going to be a big game. It's like, man, if you if you don't win this one, BYU, it's going to be more than a decade. And now you're going to go into a period when you're not going to play. For them to win, and now they don't play for a couple of years, is a big deal. They're yeah. sitting on that win. Absolutely. Um, I, and it was, and there was so much pressure on him. Uh, and the Jets came in super low that night, which was awesome, uh, which set the tone for, for just a, a spectacular night. Samson Nakua, he throws him a touchdown pass. I don't know if he knew that Samson had promised his ailing grandmother that he would catch a touchdown that that's night. Right. But, uh, but Jerem got, Jerem got in the ball, and, and they also had that long touchdown run they called back because they said they stepped out of bounds. I'm not sure he did step out of bounds. Right. But they brought that back. That raised the roof, uh, even though there isn't a roof, and, and I just thought it was a great, great night. Well, he, he's, in addition to his great mechanics, he's a great runner. Um, you know, nine rushing touchdowns. Um, and then he also caught a touchdown pass, remember? 
against yeah, Baylor. against Baylor. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with him in the NFL if they let him run around a little bit. How about uh, how about his game against Virginia? Talk about another game where there's high pressure because it's Bronco Mendenhall and his defense coming back to BYU. At the time, Virginia was a game out of first place in the coastal division of the ACC. So we didn't know what, what we were going to get. Uh, and they had a really good quarterback. And BYU scored 66 points on Bronco. Uh, Jaron threw for 349 yards, no interceptions, three touchdowns. He ran in a touchdown. And this was the night where Tyler Algier did all the things, set, you know, tied the school record with five touchdowns on the ground. But, but just the way... Jaron managed that game knowing that in the first half his defense was going to stop no one. And you, you, had, to, you had to score, well, what they knew. They knew they had to score at least uh, 49 points to win the game. <laughs> this is one of the craziest games, especially in that second half where it just it was like, well, Virginia can't stop them. If BYU can just get a stop or two, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. But, um, and, he, and he went, uh, you know, he had a great, great game. You think about the efficiency of that game, 22 of 37. For 349 yards, three touchdowns, not in, no interceptions. He had a re- that rushing TD. Um, what a great, great, entertaining football game. Like, if you like defense, that was not a good football no, game. No, that was a long, long night. But uh, credit Elisa Tuiaki and the group because at halftime they made an adjustment mm-hmm. and Virginia scored seven points in the second half. It was the way Virginia went in that first half and then the way BYU went in that second half was just – that was a crazy game. One of the craziest games I've ever seen in LaBelle Edwards. Baylor, uh, to open the home schedule this year, mm-hmm. uh, another one of his uh, greatest accomplishments. Took double overtime to do it, um, but he he was solid throughout the game. Uh, it was a rematch of a game where BYU knocked, got knocked around last year in Waco. Uh, full house, more Jets, ESPN. And uh, I thought that's the night he became an NFL quarterback. And it was interesting because in 2021, um, BYU knocked Utah around, um, but got knocked around by Baylor. In 2022, they come back in that game. And it's almost like I, I thought, I thought Jaron was a great leader in that. They just came with this mindset that, you know what? You may have knocked us around last year. That is not going to happen again. And and we're gonna we're gonna beat you up on both sides of the ball. And BYU won the physical battle against Baylor this year after getting literally beat down the year before down down in Waco. So it was a, it was a great game, and I thought it was Jaron's attitude and his efficiency and all of that in that game that made a huge difference. I thought after the game, uh, I wrote a column about it in the Desert News this last week. Uh, was was Jaron's finest hour? He, we know he can play quarterback. He's got a big arm. He's fast and. When healthy, he's he's really, really, really good. But uh, as you go back to the end of the Baylor game, and Jake Oldroyd, who was so good at one stretch during his career, they renamed him Jake the Meg. Uh, <laughs> but he comes in to win the game in the last seconds in regulation, and the place is ready to explode, and he shanks the kick to the left. We're like, are you kidding me? It's like 35 yards. And then they go into overtime, and uh, and he's going he's gonna to kick it again. To win it. To 37 yards this time. And he kicks it to the left. And then Baylor misses their kick. Right. And then you go into second overtime, and, and Lapini Katoa scores. They go for two. They don't get it. Baylor gets the ball. They're trying to score. And, uh, and right as he gets to be that final drive, Hall goes over and finds Oldroyd, kneels down next to him. They watch it together. And, uh, and I don't know what Jaron said, but he said a lot of things. 
as uh, as the ball goes out of the end zone on the final play of the game and the players jump up and rush the field. The fans rush the field, and, and Hall gets up and grabs his kicker, throws his arm around him, and then he just holds him there, uh, sending the message of, one, we win or we lose together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're our kicker. We need you, and you've carried us before, and tonight we carried you, but we're all in this together, and ESPN caught it on camera a few times ago, the mayhem, then over here, the mayhem, then back to those two. And I thought that was the epitome of, of a leadership role from a quarterback who uh, on his biggest night, most of us would have been out of the 50-yard line with our helmet off looking for the ESPN interview. Well, and he, his level of maturity was off the charts. And that was a great display of that where he, he made it, he had to make a conscious decision. He's like, I don't, you know what? I don't need all of that. Um, what I need is to be right here. This is, this is what's important right now. So I'll take care of what's important. And I don't, that would be really, really fun, but that's not the pressing thing right now. The pressing thing is I got a teammate that's hurting right here, and I need to be here. And it wasn't a Cinderella ending. Uh, Jake struggled a little bit. Uh, Jaron got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last three games, starting with Boise State, uh, Utah Tech, and Stanford, the, the two of them were perfect and, uh, and were able to finish their careers in style. Hall missed the bowl game with the ankle injury. Oldroyd kicked a field goal in the, in the bowl game. BYU won it by one point. Uh, and, and so they, they get to ride off in the sunset a little bit. But it wasn't we had this thing and we embraced, and then all of a sudden the world became gumdrops and, and, and roses. It was just hard the whole time, but, but isn't that life? And, and here, the thing about this, this team and about Jaron Hall is the level of toughness and the ability to come back and to keep getting after it. At the beginning of the season, didn't Vegas set the over-under at eight? I think so. For BYU. And we and, thought it was and low. We, and we were like, ah, I'm thinking nine. Yeah. I was thinking nine. Ten if healthy. But but then when they beat Baylor, everyone's expectations went, this is a top ten team. Well, yeah. this, this is a team knocking on the door of the college football playoffs. They're number right? 12 now all right? of a sudden. And, and so so then, so then there's this roller coaster of um, where are they really based on what they've got coming back? Um, we At first we thought, they you know, this is an eight or nine win team. And, and then they go out. And beat Baylor, and then then we're all like, "Oh, this team doesn't win eleven now. It's an abject failure." Right. right? And then they go on the four game skid when Jaron's not healthy. The the most impressive thing to me was when everybody because the bar had been reset. None of us were saying, including you and I, they were only supposed to win eight or nine to begin the season. If they can win out here, they're uh, and go on a roll they're and win a bowl game, they could they could win eight, which is exactly what we expected out of them at the beginning of the season. Sometimes it doesn't go exactly as scripted, but that's about what they were supposed to do this year. Um, no, we were all going, they, they should have won 11 yeah, games. How did they bummer. lose this? How did they lose that? But he just kept going out and grinding. This team just kept going out and grinding. And one by one, people were like, up, oh, I'm jumping off the ledge. They're not going to make a bowl game. This is going to be the, they're we're not going to make a bowl game. We're going to get killed in the Big 12. We're going to get all that yeah, stuff. All, not making a bowl game, let alone getting to eight wins. They're not going to get to six wins. People were saying when they were four and five, they will not get to six wins. Yeah. What's interesting is it's fandom. It's uh, it's the low of lows. It's the high of highs. For example, Hall announces he's going. Next day, a couple hours later, even uh, Keaton Slova announces he's Slova announces he's coming, and then all of a sudden it's like. All right, here we go. We're going to this and we're going to shop the portal and blah, blah, blah. And 
And and by the time September rolls back around, this fan base will be ready to win the Big 12. That's right. And and it doesn't have to be realistic because that's what sells the tickets. It's the fandom that that listens to this show or watches us on BYU TV or plans BYU events into their life. Um, and so they're never going to be realistic, right? reality-based projections. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I think it's, he, I, when you're I, looking back, you go, hey, hey, we hit this one. We missed this one. It's just like the the ride is, is what we sign up for. And, so, and sometimes it ends up being eight wins, and, and we look back and go, well, I thought they were going to get nine. But if but if, if they would have gotten eight, those aren't the eight that I was thinking. <laughs> right? Those aren't <laughs> the eight that I was thinking they were going to get. Yeah. So, yeah. so here comes Keaton Slovis, and uh, he's a grad transfer. Coming from Pitt, he's 6'3", 215 pounds, hails from Scottsdale, Arizona. His family's been to practice. He's been to practice. Yep. Had he's- a chance to meet his mom and dad and him a couple weeks ago. No, I know. I didn't tell you guys on the show. because We don't say a lot of things no, on the show. No, because we were sworn to secrecy um, that that we couldn't, and and so we don't. Um, but, yeah, I met him at practice. Parent, parents were great to talk to. Uh, Keaton seems like a really, really nice young man. Is what this I, a is he a game changer? Is he a game well, changer for going the, into the Big Twelve? All, all he's done is play in P five football his whole career. Yeah, and he was a fan for his first two years. He was off the charts ridiculous. He got pressed into action way before he should have as a freshman. Remember, he was the backup going in. Um, J T Daniels got hurt in the first game in the very first game, and all Keaton Slovis does is go out and wins, put up ridiculous numbers for a true freshman. Like they're crazy numbers for a freshman. And uh, and wins the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Then the next season was COVID. Yeah. And so and they but, and he went five and one in but, COVID. But his numbers were were phenomenal during COVID. But it kind of went unrecognized because they only played five, you know, six games. And then they got beat by Oregon that year. He got hurt right in the Pac-12 Championship game, and so they didn't, didn't go on to the Final Four they or whatever. Opt- it was. They, they they opted out of their bowl. Yeah. Didn't go on. He got hurt. And then, then did some work on his mechanics and things in the offseason. And I don't know what happened with that team, his third season there. Remember, that was when Clay Helton got fired in the middle of the year. And, and then they had all- the interim guy. And then, and then, and Slova struggled. He struggled with shoulder issues coming back. Right. And, and maybe he was coming back a little too early. Yeah. And, and, and then and, they threw in Jackson Dart. Yeah. And, 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 and then he got hurt and then came back. And Remember, it, when Dart was on the field against BYU and the Cougars beat them. He was in for Slovis, right? Um, and 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 then and then everyone else got fired, and and then uh, here comes Lincoln Riley, and he's bringing his own quarterback. So Jack, Jackson Dart goes to Ole Miss, yeah. and and Thank Slovis you. goes to Pitt. Notre Dame uh, was the first call. The second he went into the portal, the Irish called him, mm-hmm. and uh, but he went to Pitt because they were they're coming off of like an eleven and two season, and they and they were they told him that they the they were going to run a pro style offense. And that, that he was going to be the feature in the offense. But they, from the time he signed to when he arrived there, they had staff changes on the offense. Yeah. And and they went to – and they had a really, really good running back that rushed for almost 1,500 yards. But they became a run-based, handed-off type of an offense. And they were 8-4 and four this year and, and were pretty solid. But that wasn't the offense Keaton Slovis went to run at Pitt. No, and, and one thing I, I read today um, – his top receiver at Pitt 
was the Addison kid who transferred last May to USC and right. was uh, Caleb Williams' number one target. Exactly. So he's going back to he's going back to a a world that that suddenly changes. And in the portal, um, you know, there's movement and freedom, but there's not that much. Well, so he's locked in at Pitt. And then uh, Pitt's going to play in a bowl game on Friday. He's not going to play in that because he's already, he's already a BYU guy. But um, uh, let's look at some of the things that I think people are – You know, the initial reaction is like, what? I don't think he was that great. Didn't win that many games. How can he this? How can he that? But, but uh, in fact, one guy texted me uh, about all the things that were wrong with him. And I said, well, here's the thing. Everything you think he can't do, Aaron Roderick thinks he can do. Right. And Roderick developed Wilson and Hall, so I'm going to go with him on this. Well, and here's the thing. Like, people are going it, – it's just interesting to me. They're judging him on when he was hurt, right, and coming back from an injury. You go back and look at his, his freshman year. So he had that skill set, right, That, and he had that mindset, and he was playing with good players, and they had a well-conceived offense that year, and he lit it up. And guess what? Going into his sophomore season, he was preseason nominee for the Davey O'Brien Award. Now he's on the Heisman watch list. Heisman watch list going into his sophomore year. And he was first team all pack 12 his sophomore year, even though they only played six games, right? Mm -hmm. So so the the guy can play. So somewhere along the line, and and remember, then he was part of what was a, do we call it a dumpster fire? When you fire your coach, your head coach in the middle of the season, there's problems internally in a program it was a disaster and usc always has talent right but talent doesn't perform without leadership and cohesiveness and team and all of that and there was all kinds of craziness going on and backbiting and all of that and and usc with some of the best talent in the country won four games is that on keaton slovis i don't think that's on keaton slovis it's a little bit on everybody yeah I, i think i think that i think that the lack of leadership goes right back the coaching staff was falling apart, right? I look at his career passing yards through all those highs and lows and in two places, just under 10,000 yards, 68 touchdowns. He's thrown 33 picks. Uh, Career completion rate, 65.9%. At Pittsburgh this year, 2,397 passing yards, 10 touchdowns and nine interceptions. But this was for a team that that ran the football. Right. Uh, Israel... Abanakanda rushed for 1,400 yards and 20 touchdowns for Pitt. They were a running school. Slovis went back there to throw the ball, and like you said, they made some changes. He still threw for 2,300 yards and 10 touchdowns, but it was not the uh, air raid. If there's one, if there's one thing that, that Slovis needs to get better at, if he's going to make it to the National Football League, is he's got to be better in his decision making and. And some of that is tip balls. Some of that's protection problems. Like, so you you got to surround him with great people because he he had big time NFL numbers his freshman year. His touchdown interception ratio was remarkable for a freshman. Yeah. Um, usually freshmen do throw picks, and he didn't. And that was a Graham Harrell offense that wasn't interested in running the football. Right. And so so everything was on him. So so what what Aaron Roderick needs to do is. Um, he needs to go back to that Keaton Slovis, his freshman and sophomore year. He needs to see how he thrived and what were the things that they had him do that allowed him to be unbelievably successful. You can look at Pitt and say, what situations did they put him in when he threw picks? Um, what, you know, what areas do we stay away from? Let's maximize this guy's strengths because he was playing on one of the best teams in the country and, and was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. 
and, and that's Aaron Roderick's goal right now, and his, his charge is to figure out how to take a guy that was a Heisman Trophy candidate and put him in his comfort zone so he can become that again. And he's coming in surrounded with really good receivers. Um, big offensive good line. Good tight ends. Big offensive line. Some help at running back. Yep. Going to get some help at running back. Um, so, and I think they're good. I think BYU will sign. Remember, this was the early signing date this yep. last week. You're going to see a couple other running backs added to the roster. And a JC quarterback, we anticipate. Right. That will help with depth. You just have to fill that room. There's, It's no longer a, uh, if you sign here, you get to have the job. Right. The, the games are too hard. The, 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 the Big 12 is going to break our quarterbacks. So it's like, now you need four of them. You definitely need three. And so it can't just be like this year, Hall, and then way down here, everybody else so that you're in a position where playing an injured quarterback is still better than playing your backup. Right. Can, that can't happen anymore. Which is what happened this year. Yeah. That it was happen. like, well, remember, Cade Finnegan was hurt at the same time. Yeah. And so so this year, he got hurt in practice. So this year, BYU opted to play their starting quarterback at maybe 70% because he was better. They felt it was better to go with him at that level. That, yeah. that can't be the case. No. Your, your backup has to at least be 85 to 90% of your starter. So if your starter's at 70%, you go, well, we, our backup's better than him at 70%. It has to be. And then you let him get healthy and come back. And and you know what? In years past, that was the case with Baylor Romney. Ba- Baylor Remember, Romney. Jaron was on the bench when Zach Wilson's playing. Yep. Ba- Baylor Romney. Man, we do. I, maybe we do give him enough credit. But Baylor Romney was 90-plus percent of, of, of Hall. When you've got 90-plus percent that you put in, and, and I, I say 90-plus percent, not the same skill set. But ability to run the offense and go win football games, confidence from the coaches that he'll make the right decisions, confidence from his entire team that oh yeah, if this guy's in, we'll go win, no problem. Yeah, because this guy's a winner; he'll make all the right plays. He didn't get sacked once this year. Yeah. I think he's happy about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's true. But <laughs> but BYU needs to get back to that. If you're in a big time program and you're going to play, so BYU's going to play ten P five schools this year, and the Big Twelve. If you're, when you're playing 10 P5 games. Nine league games and, and Arkansas out of the SEC. So, yeah, yeah. the 10. You, you better be better than 70% of your starter with your backup or yep. you're going to have some problems. So, so BYU's going to face the 10 P5s in the fall. Slovis faced 10 P5s um, a few months ago, just over the last few months. Right. And I believe in his career he's played 38 p5s yes yeah, so so at all, at all levels in all places that's 10 times more than any BYU quarterback so it seems like he's re- he's ready for that here's who he played this year west virginia out of the big 12 number 22 tennessee on but their they, march but they played him early in yeah. the year when they were yeah western michigan rhode island georgia tech virginia tech louisville 21st ranked north carolina 20th ranked syracuse virginia duke and miami that's who he played this year. Right. That's what he did to get ready for BYU. And and they went eight and four, five and three in the ACC. They qualified for the Sun Bowl against UCLA this Friday, um, which which he's opting out on because he's coming to play here. So um, and he's been here before. Yeah. And and then think about nine thousand nine hundred and seventy three yards passing. Where would that put him? I didn't even. I was going to look this up today, and I forgot that I was going to look it up. Dang it. Where would that put him on the all-time passing list at BYU? It would be right up there. With a year to go. Yeah. 9,973 passes. Still like two miles back of Detmer, but he would yeah, be right Detmer, up there with Detmer's everybody else. Like, you know, he's like, <laughs> it's tied, then a giant drop-off, and then everybody else, right? So so in 2019, remember that we were there on the field for the pre, and the mm-hmm. post-game was like 1,000 degrees. Yes, it was. Uh, and that's not even an exaggeration. 
Uh, Slovis is here. He's leading USC against BYU. Throws a couple of touchdowns. Got picked off three times. BYU won it 30-27 to 27 in overtime. His third interception was a tip ball that mm-hmm. Dime Ganwalaku jumped on. That's right. And, and sealed the game. Um, so now he knows, not only does he know what it's like to play at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, he knows what the opposing quarterback is going through. And now he's on the other side playing for BYU with instead of 62,000 yelling at him, uh, you got 62,000 cheering for him. What a what a unique feeling that's going to be for him to trot out on the field on September third. Yeah, and he have you seen the clip? I think you and I were watching it together, where he's talking. This is before he had committed mm-hmm. to BYU, talking about BYU's fan base, where he's like, "Yeah, that place is nuts." He goes because usually you go in and people are are trying to get into it and say things to get to you, but they're drunk. <laughs> yeah, and he said at BYU, they're completely sober. So they're thoughtfully thinking about so they, these things. He said, when they said, Slovis, you stink, they meant it. They knew what they were saying is what he said. <laughs> you know, and it was, a, uh, it, was, it was a different kind of compliment uh, for BYU. While the outside world will make fun of the fact that fans aren't drunk here and swearing at him, but they're still getting after him. Um, I think that's a compliment to, his, his, to who we are. His and his in the was, end, it's a hostile environment without drunk people. Yeah, and, and, and in the end, he's... He's selected to come play here, right, and be represented by all those non-intoxicated fans. When I talked, when I talked to Keaton um, a couple weeks ago, I said, I said, why, why are you here? Like, what, what draws you to BYU? And he says, I watched the way they've run this offense. I've, I've, I've talked to players. So he's got a couple of guys on the team that he knows. By the way, he's been texting BYU's receivers and tight ends for weeks. Yeah, so it makes you wonder how mm-hmm. how long this has been in the works, and and this is going to be a stretch of a question, but I'm curious for your answer. Is the reason Puka hasn't announced because maybe he's enticed by the notion of Coming playing with Slovis and have Keaton throw him the ball a bunch? Well, but but in the end, he said the culture, but but most importantly, I watched this offense and the way that you know the way they run it. It's a pro-style offense that prepares quarterbacks to go play in the National Football League, and they develop their guys, and they get better. That's why I want to come here. I want to come play in this offense. I want to be developed, and I want to get better. I, I walked away, and I'm like, man, that what he's, a compliment. What a compliment to BYU and to Aaron Roderick and to this offense for a quarterback of his level to say that. And he was very thoughtful about where he wanted to go and why. So what does that mean for Puka? I still think Puka goes. <laughs> why isn't he announced? I don't know why he hasn't announced. I, honestly. If you're, if you're going and he knew he was going at the day after the Stanford game, then just say, I'm, I'm out. Kind of yeah. like what we talked about Hall. Although Hall was, it was important to, for him so that BYU could replace him. But maybe BYU knew they were going to replace him two weeks ago, so they didn't sweat it out. Mm-hmm. And he got around to announcing it. Um, last weekend, but for Puka, who's who's arguably, and we've said it before, the best football player on the team. Um, and most, you know, games- you're all of a sudden Slovis is texting you, and you're thinking, uh, you know what? That's a big arm. Yeah, and most games um, that that we watched this year, Puka was not just he was the best player on the field. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I. Who knows? And Puka is an interesting guy. He's, he, a, he's an interesting him, dude. He loves playing at BYU. 
He loves it. Like, he's constantly got a smile on his face. Like, he's the kind of guy that um, uh, he just takes in the moment. You know, and too many players don't do that. Too many players are just on the grind and it's just get to the next thing, get to the next thing, and they never take a moment to actually enjoy it while they're out there. And, and then even sometimes step out of the moment and go, it's pretty cool. I'm loving this. I'm having a great time. Puka does that all the time. He loves it. So it's not like I got to get to the NFL because I'm done with this and I'm tired of this. He's trying to make the decision based on what are the risks if I come back? Um, you know, does, does it lessen my chances? What if I get hurt next year? Because he really you does want to play in, in the NFL. you got to throw in academics, too. Right. There's a commitment there. Yeah, it has to be. you got to be in school. you got to go to all your classes. You got like Just imagine if he does come back. Oh, man. Because there's already a great receiver room. Yeah. With, with Cody Epps and Chase Roberts and Keanu Hill. and I mean, I, we can just go on and on and on. It, it, it is a deep receiver room. And, and you're going to see an Isaac Rex this next fall that's now going to be far enough removed from that injury that he's going to be fluid and fast and be able to cut again. Do you think he'll return to the elk status? Oh, yeah. I think he's going to be. We'll call him the elk. think he'll be the elk? Yeah, we'll call him the elk again. Tim Lacombe's going to join us here in about five minutes. We're going to relive Jimmermania and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, Signing day for football has come and gone. The early one, they signed 15 kids, which leaves them plenty of room to shop in the portal. Mm -hmm. Uh, They went shopping today. And to sign on the regular signing day, other High school, junior college, you know, whatever. They got Jackson Cravens coming down from Boise State on the interior defensive line. I think one of the biggest signings is his teammate, Isaiah Bagna, 6'4", 225-pound edge rusher, both for Boise State. Um, Remember, when BYU went into Boise, their defense was ranked around third in a bunch of stats nationally, in runs, in, in rushing yards, and sacks, and all those things. So, first of all, they go get... uh. Sione Puha mm-hmm. to coach the defensive line. Then they go out and get these two guys to come in from Boise State to join Tyler Batty and a handful of the other guys coming back. And then all of a sudden, what was considered the weakest link on the football team has uh, is no longer that way. And, and they also got a commitment from a couple of monsters out of Snow College inside. Yeah. D tackles, big, you know. When I say monsters, to me, a monster on the inside needs to be 6'2 or taller, and 320 pounds or more. They got a couple of those guys. One play we're going to show uh, in July on After Further Review when we're talking about Cravens and, and Bagna is, um, and I think that's how you say it, it's spelled B-A-G-N-A-H. I, th- I think it's Bagna. Bagna. There's a Bagna. play. Remember, Boise State came over here two years ago and beat BYU um, on a rainy, cold day. The Cougars ranked like 10th. It was a big, bad loss for BYU. But there's a play where Bagna and Cravens both meet Algier at the line of scrimmage and drop him for... No gain. And now those two guys are going to be yeah. playing for BYU. Hey, Boise State is is known for being really physical on defense and really good up front, and those are two of their better guys. And and Bagna has a great story. We, you know, I'm not even going to tell it because we need to get Kelly Papinga to come on. Yeah, we'll get we'll him get on. Kelly to come on and tell the story because Kelly coached him up there. So Kelly coached the rush ends up there and, uh, and worked with, with Isaiah. And Isaiah has a unique connection. He's got more of a connection to BYU than any of you know, but we're going to save that for another night, and we'll get Kelly on and let him tell the story how of how he discovered that Isaiah has more of a connection to BYU. That'll be fantastic. Him. We'll get that in January. Uh, BYU Hoops, Cougars finished non-conference with a 10-5 and record. They're on a five-game winning streak. Best wins, Dayton, Creighton, and Utah. 
notable losses at San Diego State, USC Butler. Let's throw Utah Valley in there after they went to Oregon and beat the Ducks. Yep. That's a, the, the, they're, they're legit. Hey, Mark, Mark's got that group rolling. Worst defeat, South Dakota. Most improved players. We're going to say Rudy Williams and Noah Waterman. Yeah. They found their role. Rudy's found his role coming off the bench. Um, and we were talking to Mark Pope about that the other day, and I said, what? Like, what changed for him? We asked Rudy. And, and Rudy, Mark said, for some guys, when they're in there with all of the hype that comes with the introduction of the players and the lights and the screens and all that, and the, the emotion of the start of the game, get a little too amped. And, uh, and remember, early in games, he was turning the ball over, and then he would settle in. So they put Rudy on the bench. He has a chance to watch the game develop a little bit. He settles down, and when he comes in, He's in control. He's instant offense. He's a leader out on the floor, and he plays starter minutes. Yep. So if that's the best, like, I think that's a a great move by Mark and the staff to figure out that maybe we need to bring him off the bench, and voila, all of a sudden he's a huge contributor. How about 26 against Creighton and 26 against Utah, yep. and, and where he was taking care of the basketball, his turnovers have come dramatically down, he's playing with confidence. I, I think great move by the coaching staff. And how about him going – doesn't matter whether I'm coming off the bench or not. I got to contribute, and he's just embraced this thing. He's got a great smile, an infectious laugh, and he's hitting all his shots. And if you if you were to ask Dallin Hall, who's having the most impact on him, he would say, "Well, I spend the most time with Rudy Williams." And Rudy's just like put his arm around Dallin Hall and said, "Okay, freshman, let me let me help mentor you a little bit, um, and and talk about things, and let's push each other in practice." And I think he's had a great, great effect on Dallin Hall, who's a really level. See, and, and Mark's starting Dallin Hall, and Dallin Hall is kind of the opposite. Like, I, I've decided that for a freshman return missionary, I don't care how many lights or explosions you have before the game. He just comes in just chill. Like, he's just level. I'd be a little the, amped the up. The moment doesn't get, get to him. He doesn't get amped. He, he wants the ball. So he's amped up enough to say, um, hey, down the stretch, I know, I know I've just missed six shots, but let me take the game winner. I'll take it. That's rare for a freshman. Um, but but he's so calm to start the game that they found you start him, you bring Rudy in. Sometimes they play those guys side by side. Uh, Mark has a better idea of his rotations and who to play with who. Guys are starting to understand their uh, starting to understand their uh, um, roles better. Waterman's taking Wa- a little more time him. hitting his shot. He at first he rushed every three. Yeah. And we were watching him in practice going. We just watched the dude make 14 out of 16 from around three-point line. But but he just went one for six in the game. What's going on? He just needed to take his time and and, and stick with his fundamentals. And, and as soon as he started doing that, he started to see the ball go through. And now that he's seen the ball going through, he's he thinks he's going to make it every time he shoots it, which is the way you have to be to be a good yeah, And as they toughen him up, he's going to be a beast. And remember Mark told us he thought he was a year away. For being a super player, and he's got two years, and we think he'll have three before it's all yeah, said and done. Yeah, he's got to, to get play that, at BYU. He's got to get that um, uh, red shirt approved from Detroit Mercy, and and I think he will. All right, let me go over some game details while we bring our guest in and have him uh, uh, sit down with us. BYU's at Pacific Thursday night, nine Eastern, seven Mountain. That's on the WCC network. Uh, BYU Radio. That's the WCC opener, the beginning of the end. And then Saturday night, our New Year's Eve showdown, Portland at BYU. That's at 9 Eastern time. 
Seven Mountain on BYU TV. Blaine, Spencer Linton, and I will be on the call. Game day coverage starts at 8 Eastern, 6 Mountain with Jerem Jordan and Tyler Hawes. You know, one thing I'm glad about Jaron Hall uh, leaving is that we don't have a Jaron and a Jerem uh, in our uh, in our wheelhouse. Yeah, it's too confusing. They should fact, never we're, be we're, in there we at the same about, time. If Jerem was coming back, we were thinking about we'd have to just put Jerem on hold for a year because <laughs> it's just too confusing. First night game uh, in the history of uh, BYU basketball at home on New Year's Eve. That's as far as we know. Our guest tonight spent 11 years at BYU as the director of basketball operations, an assistant coach, an associate head coach, and as the assistant head coach, all under Dave Rose. Cougars won 284 games over that period. 284. He's now a broadcaster with the Jazz. Pleasure to welcome to the Wise Guys our friend Tim Lacombe. Happy holidays. Great seeing you guys. What a cool setup. Why is your seat so low? Yeah, we can raise you up. I don't know. I'm, I'm cool. Are you with good it. at that? You yeah, okay I'm there? Chill. Do, I feel, do I feel? You know, wait a minute. My laid back vibe. I'm going, wait, I'm going down with Tim. Just a minute. Just I got to go there. You. I, now, I think yeah. There and we a go. couple of funny things. A full disclosure. <laughs> I just had. I just went to the chiropractor because I woke up with a, just an absolutely brutal back today. You didn't oh, say that no. when I was talking to you. Well, I, you know, don't complain. It's game day, and we stay <laughs> focused. I didn't want you getting, you know, squirrely <laughs> that I wouldn't show up. Uh, but while I was in there. A guy came in right after me, Mr. Noah Waterman. Really? Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, a karma's a good thing. Vibes are a good thing. He seemed to have a great one. And um, so I think more threes are in his future. I actually gave him one of these. It's you know? it. He nice. kisses the sky. You know, nice. Not many young guys come in and kiss the sky no. after a three. Most are surprised it goes in. He's got a whole thing after oh, he makes yeah, it. He's got an absolute um, whole repertoire. He, and he's, he's having fun. So Noah and I have this thing going because – Noah grew up just about – so I grew up south of Seneca Lake in upstate New York, and, and Noah's from just on the other side of the lake north. Now, lakes aren't like they are here. They're big. It's like 52 miles long, Seneca Lake is. So he's, he, he grew up about an hour north of me. But he went to Finger Lakes Christian Academy. It's tiny, you guys. They, they play in the smallest classification. Um, you know, he played some AAU ball, but really not that much. So he was this great big kid playing with all of these little kids – and people saw that he had skill, but but he wasn't a big time recruit because he was playing at such a small place. And uh, I, I think it's a huge diamond in the rough find for BYU in the transfer for port, uh, portal because he's a skilled six eleven dude. Um, and he's got a baby face, but but he's got a little bit of a killer instinct in him, which is which is kind of fun. Yeah. And how easy would it have been, or easier would it have been for you and your staff to go to the portal and shop for guys? It would have been fun. Uh, you know, I think back, <laughs> we, we definitely shopped, and we shopped as many. A coach used to call it, we, we would fish, you know, and he would just say, make sure you mind, you know, where you fish and make sure, A, that we're getting, you know, the fish that are good for this place and also uh, that – we can actually get involved and get a guy, you know, because that was the thing. So, But even then, when they transferred, they had to sit out a year, which right. had to make it a tough sell. Not anymore. No, it, you know, and it, again, there were so many things that needed to kind of get pivoted, but at the same time, it changes it all. You know, the NIL is, is such – I left in 2019. I saw it yeah. coming down the pipe, and that's kind of why I was getting ready to – you know, my, you my piece stick, of that. I don't know if my stick would work there. I think we needed a higher level guy. So they <laughs> called a car salesman. You know, they brought on figure. So. <laughs> it, it, it's it, it, it's scary no matter who you are. Like, And we, we interact with all, all these coaches at a high, high level, and, and every one of them won't admit publicly, but they just go, man, we don't know where this is going. Like, this is a little bit scary. And teams are promising 
kids things that they're not coming through on and how do you battle that and when is the NCAA ever going to reel this thing back in I mean what what's your thought on that is is NIL something that could could ruin the game or or do you think at some point the NCAA and maybe even the government comes in and put some fences around it so it doesn't just get completely out of hand. Yeah, and I don't know. You know, I, I think things happen, and then old guys like us that are used to something in a certain way changes. Maybe sometimes it's for the good. You know, I, I remember there was a lot of banter about the three-point shot when it came, and, you know, is it a gimmick? Um, and really, it's it's the way the world went, so it's good that the U.S. got involved with everything we did. Um, I'd like to see them standardize everything in basketball, you know, get all the lines the same, <clears throat> you know, not have to go out there. And obviously high school, you can't, but I'm talking college pro. Um, they did finally get shot clocks in yeah, Utah high so school great. this year. And, and I've been to a couple games and it's so great. It's so yeah. awesome for strategy, right? You know, yeah. you guys have watched way more games than I ever thought of. Um, but is there music playing in my ear? Yeah, yeah we have a little mood music. music. Okay, cool. I was just making sure that wasn't. <laughs> no, I, I looked, it like I panicked. It, it was it my just phone. Keeps your vibe, it just <laughs> you keeps your vibe going. Yeah. A um, couple observations before we get too deep into things. You know, the O's over here are in big trouble on your board. They're outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. And that's how oh, we felt by often. By the way, I didn't drive that. I did draw that. Someone, I think, broke in and took some of the O's. No, it's good, though. I, I just was. <laughs> they are in trouble. Coach, yeah, well, I looked you know, at it, and I'm like, be, I don't know how. Excellent you, you point. You don't want to be an O on that. By the way, no that. one's ever pointed out that the O's were in trouble that's come in here, so you're very observant. Well, I looked around. You know, I looked around, <laughs> and then um, what a cool it's, place it's 14, to have. It's 14 X's to O's up there. Yeah, yeah. And, and oftentimes with referees and everything else, that's how the W's. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the O's are the refs. <laughs> that's exactly scheduler. Um, I can say all this stuff This now. is a pretty cool place. We're, we're Big 12 ready. So yeah, we, cool. we left Oklahoma and Texas off. Because we're still not sure how they're trying to. Yeah, they may be. In we're for, not sure they were, what they're doing. They were supposed to be in for two years, but now it looks like it might be a year. We'll, we'll see. So we just left. We off. need it. We need you know. We need adults at the table. So we've just got these guys. How cool though! Like, look at those names, and you know, we've had history with a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, TCU. Um, you know, Kansas to me was we played in '96 when I was with Rick Majerus at Utah. We played in Kemper against KU, and we actually up eleven. It was LaFrance Pierce. Mm-hmm. And Vaughn those years. And Didn't man. you beat Oklahoma State up at Vivint the year they I, went to the Final Four? Were you there? I actually was not at, at, with BYU at that point. Okay. Yeah. So that was earlier. That was earlier. We did play Michigan State really, really to a tough game. You know, I think that was 09. How about when Baylor came in, they ranked second, and, and uh, Carlino was coming off his whatever and and had a big game and we called that game yeah didn't we? yeah we, we called did. that game that was a that was they that was a magical so, moment they made so many like pull-up mid-range they things. had like three nba guys oh they were amazing yeah. Yeah. i'm telling you the length on that that's when you know, like, we can talk about big 12 but that's that's what you see like when we went to the tournament and faced a&m twice and yeah. kansas state and you're like wow they're not only big they're big, big, and then if they f- get in foul trouble, there's a dude right behind them that's just as big. Yeah, yeah. and that was where we kind of—that's where we separated, you know. During so. your time at at BYU, and we're gonna run the gamut on things to talk about with Tim Lacombe here tonight on the Wise Guys. So you're at the start, the middle, and the end of Jimmer Mania. So let's go to the beginning. Jimmer doesn't start a single game as freshman year, 2007, 2008. When you look down there and you see him sitting on your bench. You had any idea how cap- what he's capable of? Oh, you'd knock me over with a feather. I mean, look, the guy was talented, right? But we had a lot of talented Pete guys come through. And 
um, you know, it, it took a while for him to just kind of get that competitive edge to go out there and play like he was better than everybody else. And I think that's what we were waiting for. And we had, you know, I don't want to just do this because he gives me discounts on cars, but Ben Murdoch was a pretty good point guard. Yeah. I mean, he kept the team on the rails. By the way, you can say anything you want on the wise guy. Yeah, so if that gets you a deal, here. more power to you. Whatever. Ben, yeah. you hear that? Hey, we can pitch you an NIL deal. No, and, and in all honesty, Ben was solid, dude. He was, um, yeah. you know, we had, we had a really unique group that year. We had Ben and we had uh, Sam Burgess on the wing. Uh, and Kamard was was with yeah. us, and you know we went in that first game. It was my first experience at BYU. We went to Long Beach, and it was Dan Monson's first game at Long Beach, and we beat them by forty. Oh man! I think you go back and look; it was forty, seventy to thirty something. It was embarrassingly bad. Um, and Dan's a friend, so. He got us back, though, a couple of years later. They made us play in the middle of the night. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I have just vivid memories of all that. And, and I'm sorry, I'm going to talk. No, that's fine. So, so, this is the way that, I talk. But that so. team, so, so his freshman year, really nobody had any idea. You knew he was skilled and he could shoot, but but you had talent. Now, sophomore year, he starts 31 games, and he averages 15 points. At that point, where he's a 15-point-a-game guy, and he's just a sophomore do you have a glimpse that he might be Jimmer? The, the Jimmer came out in, in the game against Texas A&M. That's when, that's when we all looked at each other in one of the huddles uh, because we, at a point, took Ben out and we put Jimmer in and Jimmer kind of played. Um, and I'm telling you, it was like you saw him start to go separate himself and start to look at guys and say, I'm going to shoot this right in your eye. I don't care if you're bigger than me. I don't care if we just switched. I'm going to dance a little bit, and you're going to, you know, have to get yourself all together, and by that time, I'm going to shoot it. And that's where – that was one of the first, like, sparks. Uh, but Jimmer Mania came out in full force in Tucson. Junior year, 32 starts. His average jumps to 22 and a half, and now things are getting interesting. Yeah, it was so fun because we went into that place, and, I mean, I grew up watching – those teams, you know, McHale, mm -hmm. to me, there's certain reverent places on the planet. I went on my mission to Boston and I was able to get into both the garden and uh, Fenway and yeah. walk around with nobody around me. And it seriously was spiritual. It was a, it was a cool experience. Uh, so I felt that way reverence about McHale and we went in there and it was Fiesta Bowl and they brought us into their banquet and they sat us down and fed us great and, you know, primed us up just like the old, uh, you know, the old, um, what am I thinking uh, of old the 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 warriors the fighters. oh the gladiators the gladiators yeah they yeah. they fed, they fed like us the up good, they fed yeah. me up like the gladiators sure. they, they yeah and everything they gave us you know they they were going to take right back from us our, <laughs> along with our dignity and our pride <laughs> sure uh, but we went out there in front of all those people and we just put it on them guys it was you saw it it was amazing and we were hitting shots from everywhere the ball was flying around but Jimmer. I kept a couple ticket stubs. I actually found... What did he get, 49 that night? He got uh, 37. 37? 37. 37, yeah. Which got him on Sports Center for That's sure. Right. And I got I got the ticket, and I got him to sign it. And so I, my kid actually has that framed in his room. One of the, Like, I'm noticing that... That that old that's that was something they showed when the stadium expanded, correct? Was yeah. that actually a piece yep. that existed, or did you guys have that made? No, that... That was existed. That okay. Bought, that yeah, that's really that cool. Existed, yeah. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Huh? Anyway, I like that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So so 
so that's his junior year, and and now now we're off and running, and and people are starting to catch the match. Like like man, this dude can just shoot it. Like what what is his range? Does he have a range? Can he he can shoot as soon as he crosses half court if he wants to? That's that's what we're starting to say for him as a junior. Senior year comes around. This is ten eleven. Um, he starts all thirty seven games. He averages twenty eight point six points a game. He breaks Danny's record. Um, is the all time leading scorer at BYU. BYU goes to the Sweet Sixteen. He wins the Wooden Award. Um, I feel like it was a Final Four team if we don't lose Brandon um, that year. Um, what happened between the freshman year when he was sitting on the bench and none of us even knew who he was to that guy? Like, what what had to happen for him to become that? Because what was the most dominating scorer in college basketball? Well, I think there were a couple a couple of things, and I I don't think there's ever just one. Right? There's combination of factors, but. I always say this, everybody I talk to, because I, I had the opportunity to work for Rick Majerus, and I loved it, but it was way different than working for Coach Rose because I think both guys coached to their strengths. Um, Coach Rose was all about, like, you know, he was competitive, and he wanted guys to really fight hard and compete, but at the end of the day, like, he loved to do can make a basket. You know, he was just – he. <laughs> He would tell me all the time, dude, you can do a lot of things. If you can make a basket, I'm going to find a way to play you. And so Jimmer fit that bill. And I think he was – so he was with the right head coach. I think through the recruiting process, he didn't have a ton of options. But, like, his his observations of being able to play for coach and be himself, that was a huge gift. And then I say one of the great basketball minds, you know, a couple of them actually, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity on that first staff to be with – Guys like Dave Rice, who, right. like, pot shot at Vegas. What the hell are you doing? You know, yeah. you should have kept that dude around. Uh, Would have been there forever. He's still been there, and yeah. they'd still be winning. Uh, one of the great people. And um, and I think that that's, you know, again, the people around the, you know, down to the equipment manager, Steve Busherman, and our trainers, and, you know, the administration, you know, bent over backwards for us. Uh, Santiago and Holmo were always, you know, right there with us that year and especially going through all those hard things. So I think you combine all those factors and then again, he's him, you know, and he has to be him for that all to be meaningful. What did you see uh, in his leadership? Speaking of Jimmer, when the call came down that Brandon Davies was not going to be with the team going into the Mountain West tournament and was not going to go to the NCAAs. Uh, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, um, Jimmer went down, and that's the tournament here. We broke Danny Ainge's scoring record, and then you guys march in into the big dance. But, but there's that moment where this is Final Four team to this is a team that's just got to somehow find a way to get 12 rebounds and 20 more points because they're losing that. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I. I, I think this is all uh, most of this stuff's fairly public so I'll, yeah. I'll but I'll be you know I, I would like to share some of how that felt because we did win that game on Saturday it was the early CBS game um, I'm looking over there pinching myself because uh, I think it was Reggie Miller and uh, Kerr were doing the game that day mm-hmm. and um, you know we were in the hotel the night before and the Zags were playing in town as well. They're playing San Diego, and Craig Ela was on the elevator with us. We're going up the elevator, and he goes, "Hey, coach, can you figure out a way to get me to meet Jimmer?" And I'm thinking, Craig Ela wants to meet Jimmer. <laughs> it was so surreal. Um, but we go and we win that game. And I'm telling you guys, like we all, like we tried to, we'd go to Sizzler every Monday, and we'd see the 
every week we'd climb in the standings and we'd see the start the stuff start to pile. And so we tried to do our best to deflect. Um, but it got to a point where when that all happened, you know, it was just like lightning uh, hitting and it was hard. It was hard for everybody. You know, I think Jimmer was more reserved about it all. Yeah. Jimmer just wanted to go play. I think Jackson might have been the dude that pulled everybody together. And I don't want to offend anybody and forget because I'm old. So know that my heart's in the right place. But so it was basically that Saturday and Monday. I don't I'll never forget it. I ran in to grab something before practice. And I turned the corner and I saw B sitting there in his locker with his, hand, his head in his hands. And, you know, my instinct, I'm a people guy. So I'm like, go over and, and I could tell something heavy, you know, was going on. And so I got coach involved and, and the rest is history. Yeah. You know? So I, I think back on a lot of that, I'll never forget when we got on the bus after losing to Florida and, you know, Dave Rice, so always sat in front of me, and he kind of looked over his shoulder, and he's like, "I know what a Final Four team looks like, and we were one, you know." Yeah. And so that that hurts. But I, I choose honestly the the lesson that we learned through all that, and the resilience, and what everybody's gone on to do, including B. Like, couldn't be more proud. And you know, if you say you do this for more than just you know money and and com- competition, if you really do it for sp- the spirit of it and the people, um, that's a pretty moving story. Yeah, it was it, it was it was an amazing year, and and it was a team that everybody just knew could score, but maybe underrated a little bit on defense because the team was pretty solid defensively. Jackson um, was was phenomenal. Tim Miles was at Colorado State back in those days, and we we do those games, and and I remember talking to Tim one time, and he's like, "I go, what are you gonna do with Jimmer?" He goes, "What? Do you, you can't do anything with Jimmer. Like he's just gonna score." Like, he's going to have 30, and we know he's going to have 30, so we just can't get upset about it. He goes, but the guy that drives me nuts is Jackson Emery because it's almost like on cue, he's like, oh, do we need to steal? Well, let me just go down and get one this time down the floor. Like he said, he could literally dial up a defensive play for his team whenever he wanted one. And and so that was a pretty special team with a lot of really unique pieces that fit together that made him that good, right? Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, the culmination of it all. You've got the coaching, you've got the – you know, support of everybody around, you know, support-wise. But the other guys have to buy in. And Jimmer was definitely the guy that everybody talked about, but Jimmer wasn't, you know, nobody tiptoed around him, you know. Uh, guys played jokes on him and, you know, pulled out a chair from under him and told him to put his <laughs> shoes on when he came to eat a pregame meal and not wear a tank top. And, you know, we so he was part of the Raz. You know, I've been – I was with teams, too, where you don't really mess with the stars, I'm sure – you know, and so, you know, Jimmer was, that was what made him great is he was so almost unaware of it that it was almost, it was almost innocent in a way. All right. Now be honest. Uh, did you ever challenge Jimmer in a game to see how far back he could shoot and make it? No. You never just said, Hey, how about that line over there? Just across half court. <laughs> oh, you thought, I thought you meant me and him. I, no, I, I mean, did you ever tell him? Let's see if you can hit one from the Marriott. Hey, can you hit side? one from the restricted arc? <laughs> Um, and I do remember him, you know, it was a thing. The guys would shoot down that M, you know, Marriott all the way down. And that M seemed to be, which is interesting because it was kind of in proximity to where he crossed Billy White Mm -hmm. and put him on his keister and then put that three. Like, is that, was that game? Seriously, so, so, guys. So I, I had both San Diego State Talk games. Talk about and the, the BYU-San Diego that State game. Oh, my gosh. That, that, that rivalry that year with, because that San Diego State team was loaded, right? And and those games that year, have there been better games in the Marriott Center? I, like, 
I know that Gonzaga win. That was pretty. That good. was awesome. Was pretty I, amazing. I, unfortunately, I was traveling, so I wasn't oh, at man. that one. But <laughs> well, you I, had your own against the But Zags. I mean, the, but that was that that was that level for. Oh, I mean, huge. You know, down at Viejas was a phenomenal. The one at the Marriott Center, phenomenal. Like those that series that year. Oh my goodness. Those Baylor games, even though we lost, uh, the Wake Forest game was one that stands out. That was just electric. I mean, you go back and look at the pros on the floor in that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. Like one thing I'm really proud of is we we really did. If you go back and look at our schedules, we really tried to play teams and tried to bring teams out here that never been. You know. And, right. So that was that was fun. That was fun to play during during all that Jimmermania, um, which it was like the he was like the Beatles, you know, and, and and you guys must have felt like rock stars, especially that season, and especially as he started leading the country in scoring, and then he was on Sports Center every single night. But was there one moment where you looked at Dave or or anybody on the staff uh, where you just go, you know what? Now this is officially crazy. Yeah, that was, there's no question that the, it was TCU. Uh, we had just, you know, it was a game. It was TCU was a place that a bunch of uh, fans of BYU that live out in that North Texas area, they can go to games and they can get in there and get good seats. Uh, and not many TCU fans went. So it was, you know, the minute we got in there, there were people in the hotel, all over the hotel lobby, you know, him get trying to get autograph, autograph hunters, you know, to little kids that just wanted to meet him. And then we got to the game, and it was like the Beatles. Like, we had to have police kind of escort us through the crowd. I never one time felt like a rock star in that regard because I've actually felt like a rock star for real. And, uh, you know, in the band. Right. Yes. your band. But, you know, Jimmer, like, it, that was the one. We were walking into that arena um, in TCU, and it was absolute mayhem. And Coach and I just looked at it like, what is going on? This is amazing. We did say it was like the Beatles. When uh, the, the, Blaine knows this story, um, so I brought Andrew, my son. We were calling one yes. of the games, and and uh, and we got there early. And Jimmer's out taking his shots, and and I called him over, and and I introduced him to Andrew, and then I left, and they talked for just a couple of minutes, and he went on to shoot, and then after the game, we're walking out. We're in the elevator with Elder L. Tom Perry of the Quorum of the Twelve. And we're walking out, and he's talking to us and, and, and finds out that Andrew's about to become a deacon, uh, about to turn 12. And, uh, and so he kind of stops, and they have a little visit together. And I went ahead to the car because I wanted to get out of the way for that because I thought that was really, really cool. And then Andrew comes and gets in the car, and we, we back out. And as a good father, you're sitting there going, okay, this is a moment. How am I going to nail this thing down? And, and I remember saying to him, I go, well, you've had a big night. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I can't believe I met Jimmer. And that was <laughs> that it. That was it. And I go, well, you know, you also met a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He goes, oh, yeah, that was good, too. And that's where it dawned on me, <laughs> the power and influence of an athlete on a young person. Oh, there's no question. And, it was, and, and Jimmer played that part so well and still does. But, uh, but I was just thinking about it, just going, you know, to that 11-year-old boy, 35, 40 seconds with Jimmer was out-of-body experience. Oh, there's, there's no question. I remember, you know, going to BYU games when I was little, and I was one of those kids that would run down and by the tunnel and stick my hand out, you know, try mm-hmm. to get Ainge and those guys to to five me. So uh, it, there's no question the influence and the power that they have. It's crazy. 
Just want to pass on a note. Thursday morning, 10 o'clock on BYU Sports Nation, Keaton Slovis will be with us. Oh, Our first nice. interview with the with yeah. the quarterback coming. That just uh, passed me by text. I've got to do that interview. And so that's going to be Thursday at noon Eastern, 10 Mountain on BYU TV. Former BYU basketball assistant coach Tim Lacombs on the Wise Guys tonight. Next week, former running back Ronnie Jenkins and men's volleyball head coach Sean Olmstead will be with us as we roll into the into the new year. For a lot of folks, Jim Romania was the best of times. But it was also the worst of times when Dave Rose was hospitalized down in Las Vegas after the 2009 season and diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. At that time, you're the director of basketball operations. What were those first moments like when you got the word that your best friend and the head coach uh, is fighting for his life all of a sudden? Yeah, it was, uh, I'll tell you what, I wasn't ready for that. We actually were on vacation as well. There's certain windows you can all go right. without uh, having guys on campus, so we take them. And I was actually in upstate New York at a at Oyster Bay, uh, in Oyster Bay at a, uh, at a movie theater of all places. And we were out, kind of got through, and we we're going to go see a show and got a call from Cheryl. And she sounded kind of, you know, at first, she didn't. I don't think she understood the severity of it. You know, I, I think it was more. Um, you know, Dave's got what they thought was maybe a bleeding ulcer, and she was kind of chuckling because he hated you know being doted over, and right. so she's like, "You can imagine how he's feeling right now." And uh, so, it really, we I went into the movie that night thinking, you know, that he was having some issues, but not to the extent the next call. And that was, you know, the, the severe one where, hey, he's bleeding major, and they've, they believe it's, you know, probably re- related to some cancer. Said the pancreas started doing research wasn't good, um, but it was where honestly you look at the leadership and the, the cohesion of a staff. I, I'd mentioned Dave Rice earlier, but I want to throw John Wardenberg, who John was just seriously one of the great coaches I'd ever coached with. He. Without fanfare, you know, he came up kind of like me. You know, I call us mutts. Um, <laughs> you know, we were kind of in and around the game, but we were never anything special that way. Uh, but Wardy was phenomenal. And then Nashif, I think uh, Nashif, I, I still have coaches asking me all the time because I talk to guys all the time from around the country, and they're like, whatever happened to that dude that was like a wizard, offensive wizard with your <laughs> out-of-bounds plays and those types of things. So we had a staff that was just like united and – we weren't sure how to handle it, but we did it with really, really good intentions and with, you know, two things in mind, this, the sanctity of, you know, coach's privacy. Right. Um, but also the understanding that we were in a very public and competitive world. And so to how, how do you, you know, how do you manage those two things? And honestly, we just did the best we could. You, you guys were, were doing everything you could. That, that's a tough time for Coach Rose. Um, Great time for the BYU basketball program during those years. Um, but fans will will never understand how sick Coach Rose was at times during his final few seasons um, uh, as he was coaching at BYU that led up to his retirement. But you know, because you were close uh, with him, how, how rough was that for him the last few years? It was rough. You know, his um, his passion for the game was, was always there, but his energy, you know, he was just, he was just not – able to do as much and it drove him crazy because he's a guy who wants to be the last first one there and the last one i mean that's how he cut his teeth is how he's made his name um 
but you know, it was, I think everything, what I learned along the way, coach Rose told me this early on and I, it was when we were winning 30 games a year and I couldn't imagine anybody wanting us to be anywhere, but there, you know, as a staff. And he just said, always remember nothing ends well, you know, in most things, nothing ends well. And if you put your mind to that, it's depressing, but it's true. Um, and the only way you can control how something ends is that you do that. You, you be the bigger person, you control it. And, you know, there, I'm not going to lie. There were times, you know, we were on a roll and we got ripped out of a league. We were dominating and we went, got thrown into a league we knew nothing about. And the, the number one team in the nation happened to reside there. And it took some of our mojo truth, truth of the matter, you know? And so it got a little, it, it was hard. It was hard to do what we had done through all of it and tried to do it the right way, you know, had probably one of the biggest penalties, you know, public penalties that people will refer to forever by the honor code that affected a real team's chance to play in a final four. Never right. been there. So you take all that into account and you're like, at the end of it, like, I know we haven't been to the tournament in a couple of years, but could we get a little bit like we're still um, finishing first or excuse me, never first, second, third in that league. Yeah. Um, but the other piece of it is everything has a shelf life. So nothing ends well. Everything has a shelf life. Do the math, right? And that's, I think, why everybody got out ahead of the posse. What went through your mind on September 10th, 2021, uh, when BYU was formally invited to join the Big 12, uh, knowing that the program was joining the toughest basketball conference in America and knowing how hard it was to recruit kids to BYU when you were playing in high school gyms in the WCC? Yeah. Well, I, I instantly was so overjoyed for Tom, you know, um, uh, I don't want to get emotional, but, uh, that dude's a really good dude. And I'll tell you what, he's fought through so much, you know, things have looked bleak. Um, but he, he and his team just kept fighting so, you know, my first call or text went to him um, because I do value the people in the battle. It's easy to shoot tweets out from, you know, your job as a custodian and think that they're really impactful. But actually, it's people that are in the game, in the arena that do it. Um, and so that it was cool. And then I just instantly got so happy. I mean, I'm thinking... I live a mile from the Marriott Center, and those teams are going to start rolling through. I live a mile from Cougar Stadium, and those teams are going to start rolling through. Like, what a cool time. And yeah. so I, I'm, I'm thrilled for everybody involved. It's going to be hard, and I think everybody knows that, but I'm thrilled for them. You get eight or nine teams. Like, sometimes they have nine teams in the, in the NCAA tournament from, from that league. And, you know, and on any given week, you could have five to eight teams ranked in that league. So it's not going to be easy. We'll look at the, the rankings. How I'll many just right pull them up. Uh, Houston's number three. Kansas is number four. Texas is number six. Baylor's number 12. TCU's number 18. West Virginia's number 24. And then you have uh, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and uh, Iowa State all getting votes. So that's six ranked teams right now and three, and three getting votes, which means it's going to be a challenge. But if you can schedule your uh, you know, your, your pre-conference games the right way and get to a certain number. You don't need to go win 25 games to get the NCAA tournament. You can go 500 in that league and, and, and get to the tournament. Um, so so it's, it's a completely different mindset that people are going to have to go into this with. My question, though, is what does this do 
for recruiting for BYU? Not now that they're in the Big 12. I mean, you had to recruit to the Mountain West Conference. You had to recruit to the WCC um, in, in, in your time on that staff. Um, do they get more players like Colin Chandler, who's who's off on a mission and was a big, big-time recruit uh, coming in here? Yeah, I think those are – I think back at the guys we missed on um, – you know, in, in terms of who we actually really wanted. And, you know, it was right then when it, the first one that sticks out to me is Jordan Loveridge, right? Jordan was right. a guy who was at our place all the time, and we were having a great, you know, recruitment with him. And, um, you know, we go to the WCC, and Utah's in the Pac-12, and they're on the other end of that kind of momentum swing. Uh, and we so we missed him. Uh, but I would think that guys like that, you know, that have an understanding – geographically what BYU is and um, you know are higher end guys uh, the Tyler Hawses I don't think you'll have the sort of arm wrestle maybe we had with the Stanford um, you know because they're on equal footing how big of a home court advantage can the Marriott Center be now that these teams are coming in which which if you if you were going to get some of these big teams you usually had to play them at Vivint because uh, they didn't want to come to the Marriott Center because a few teams had success uh, in the Marriott Center. But but like you mentioned, you got Kansas, Texas, Baylor, Houston, the others coming here every season. What can the fans do? How can the fans be an impact for good in BYU's chances to win some of these games? Well, I think they, you know, I've been to a couple different places. And when I was at Utah, you know, the first go around, we had, that place was really rocking. It was hard to win. Teams came rolling through there and it was so hard. Uh, we... At BYU, we've seen the same thing. And, and the thing that BYU fans do, they show up. They show up everywhere. Uh, you know, a number of places we went and played, and I'm looking at the opponents, looking around at their own arena, saying, I've never seen this place so full, and why are they wearing BYU stuff? They couldn't figure out why that was going on. Uh, Chris Miles' homecoming game at Portland stands out. I think you guys did that on BYU. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then you guys had, a, like, a fireside I mean, after oh, dude, the game. it was like, yeah. He, he lined up and shook hands with the officials and the mascot and the trumpet. And, uh, he was It was crazy. So... I certainly – BYU fans do what they're supposed to do. They show up. I think what they're going to see is, uh, like I mentioned, an unbelievably cool uh, level of basketball. Uh, when you talk about the success the Big 12 has, and then, but it's the coaching. You know, you, I look up there and I see, you know, I see the coaches of each of those guys. I mean, you, you know, Bill Self's name just looms large over that thing. Yeah. And uh, I love Huggins. You know, yeah, Huggins, we used to go to the, the Nike deals at the Final Four every year. They had a big room, and Huggy would hold court, sit there, and tell the funniest stories. And, um, you know, but I, like Scott Drew isn't bad, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think the most underrated coach, and I think the, I think the best coach going right now, you know, outside of maybe Izzo, but I think on that same level is, is Kelvin Sampson. Sampson from yeah. Houston. I tell you the story job. about, you know, the year they came in, and we yeah. – we fought. We just, we didn't have enough. Um, they they big boyed us around the gym most of the night. Um, but it was in the handshake line. I was going through. Uh, I, I said, "Coach, man, congrats, man. You're you're a ball coach. You were a straight ball coach." And he said, "No, no, no, no. I, I got it wrong." I said, "You're a legend." That's what I said. I uh, said, "Coach, you're a legend." He said. I ain't no legend. I'm a ball coach. Oh. <laughs> and I was just like, that is so gangster. We had time that with him awesome. uh, in our pregame yeah, meetings. Yeah, we did. He was so first fun. class. He was so fun to He's talk to. He's so cool, to. man. So, yeah, we've, we've gotten to 
got a good chance to to get to know him really well. Well, look at these arenas that BYU's heading yeah. into so, into, this, into this league. It, it, what surprised us is we actually started to look at it. BYU has the largest basketball arena, even when Texas and Oklahoma are still still in the league. So BYU has 19,000. Texas has a arena seat 16-7. Kansas is 16-3. Texas Tech 15. Iowa State 14-3. So BYU is going to be number one in the new league um, in, in the size of their, their home court. At the what what is, message does that send these teams? These teams are all going to come in favored to win these games initially. But here's this new team in the league. That uh, that they get to go to for the first time for many, and there's going to be twenty thousand fans uh, that have been there all this time, just waiting for them. Well, they, I'm sure they'll think they're going to look forward to it because it's you know it's outside of their footprint. It's in the mountains. They're going to see snow, um, all that cool stuff. But I'm you know when they get in there and everybody starts screaming and yelling, and you guys know the mind numbing craziness that goes on in there. Uh, you know promotions there. David Almodova, second oh, to none. Unbelievable. Yeah. Seriously, he and I started the same day at BYU. Oh yeah, I exited. That you know they they moved me out quicker. He still has a desk, but <laughs> I think I think I can walk campus without being asked to leave. So I, I've got that. Going you got for that me. going for you. See, Blaine good. and I sometimes don't have that. Yeah, you, no, you have. David is. I just try to hang amazing. with Coach Rose. Like I'm with him. David was, David was just on the show with us a couple weeks ago. So yeah. so we got ready for football stadiums. Uh, BYU's right there too. Yeah, and, and when Texas and Oklahoma go. BYU'll have the biggest football stadium, which is surprising. So Texas, hundred thousand plus. We've been in that environment I, a couple I've, of times. I've been there. I was it's there yeah. for the Taters pre- game. Pre- pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, he quieted that place. He put that whole place in awe when he leaped over their their dude and went into the end I got it. So the drummer in my band's a Texas grad. Oh, Actually, oh, oh. a couple of the guys, three of them, three of the four uh, other guys, but. That he always like, what happened to that dude that just ran all over? He's us? still Where running he? over yeah, guys. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the league. <laughs> yeah, well, Oklahoma seats eighty six thousand, and then and then BYU at sixty three seven. So when Oklahoma and Texas go either in the twenty four season or twenty five season, BYU is going to have the largest stadium in the league. Right after BYU is Iowa State at sixty one five, and Texas Tech at just under sixty. And Baylor got a taste of that yeah. in September. Coming out and going, okay. Once the jets flew over, it was it was on. And the trade off will be. Heat v altitude, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Especially early or cold and altitude. Cold and altitude. At the end uh, of the year. Later yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess climate. Climate's on our side this time. Yeah, for once. Former BYU basketball assistant coach and jazz broadcaster Tim Lacombe on the Wise Guys tonight. A couple more questions for him before we get to our five quick questions. Uh, and this one came from. Um, we have two. One. Uh, one from Twitter from earlier in the week, as soon as someone found out you were coming on. I'm going to ask you that one next. But uh, Mark, Pope, Mark Pope's Cougars are 10-5 and five after the non-conference. Now their final run in this league starts Thursday. It's been an interesting uh, league for BYU over the last 12 years. What do you expect in this finale? I, I sure like what I've seen You know, from the results after the UVU game. Uh, I think it looked like everybody kind of just decided to kick everything into the middle and whatever they needed to win, they took, and everything else they got rid of. Um, you guys had mentioned Rudy. I think Rudy's matured a ton. You know, I think when he got here, um, you know, he's getting used to a place and being the guy. And what does that mean? I think he's being the guy, but just a different way than maybe he thought. Um, and then I just can't say enough. I text Mark um, and Cody um, and told uh, Nick as well that, that – uh, it's it's so hard when you get knocked down like that 
you're embarrassed. You know, you get knocked down, sure. you're laying on the mat. You you don't necessarily want to see anybody. And, and the hard thing is to confront and deal with it all. And um, they did the hard thing. I think it's paid off. Um, I think they're getting better this year. I think it's, you know, I think they're going to be way better in league than I maybe I thought they'd be. When I was watching them, you know, struggle and then watching teams like Portland put it on teams, I was like, Egh. but um, I, I have the ultimate confidence. They'll, they'll be ready to play. And I think Mark's, like you guys have said, I think he's learned a lot about his team. Well, we've, uh, are we going to, we get, oh, you're going to ask the sports. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, so uh, at, at local Utah sports asks, and this is a tough one. Because he asked this, and I thought, man, I don't know the answer to this. So um, it, it, he says, who is the best player you've ever coached? Jimmer, Keith Van Horn, or Andre Miller, or is it somebody else? <laughs> you oh, co- you've been around some dudes. We've been around some guys. Yeah, I, I never really get into that. I, I, I rather I talk about, you know, I'd say that of those three guys, I think Jimmer had the most confidence of any guy I've ever seen. I think he, he, his confidence reigns supreme. And I think that he is a byproduct of the fact that he dreamed big. He put the time in. But at the end of the day, he just kind of did what he saw himself doing, you know, when he closed his eyes, which is so cool. And I think that's what drove him there. I think Andre was probably the most, uh, like, he, he was a coach on the floor. Like, that dude, in fact, we were practicing at Covey one of my first years there. It was actually my second year there because Andre had just come off prop so he could practice with us. And he comes off a ball screen and he throws it. And I'm standing there next to Majerus and he just is like, whoa. And he said, he actually said, the only other dude that makes that pass has got AIDS. Magic job. Because it was right then. It was, you know. Right. And it was a way to say, but he, I mean, he instantly, right, that very first practice is like, that guy's got the innate you know, magic sauce, yeah. uh, which was, I'll never forget those words. Yeah. Yeah. So let's ask it a little differently. Uh, you got three seconds time for a catch and shoot. Okay. And you got Van Horn. Who's done a lot of that. You got Andre Miller and Jimmer who, uh, you drawn up to play to have shoot. Um, I would take Jimmer and I know Keith made his share. Um, but I just think it's Jimmer. All right. There you go. There okay. You go. At uh, local Utah sports, we, we well, asked the question. That's a great question. question at Utah. Yeah, yeah. We told you we'd ask it. So, <laughs> All right, we got five quick questions for you, and we sure appreciate you being here with us tonight. And that's awesome to come up in the rain, which is going to turn to snow. And Dude, I live like a mile from here. So you know, I kind of thought you lived in South Jordan. This is a secret. I thought you lived in Salt Lake for some reason. Oh, I mean, I live a mile from the train station. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a secret place. This is like, Springfield. I always wondered where Springfield yeah, People always like, ask, like, where is your studio? And we go, we don't want to have... It's an undisclosed location. We don't want to have to get reasons. the police involved in yeah, traffic. So we, so we just, just don't. We don't especially with me being here tonight, that yeah, well, police might exactly, show up for different reasons. Exactly. So five questions for Tim. And these are ones you don't even think about. You just... Just answer Fire, quickly. Okay. Yeah. So your favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. Good choice. Yeah, we knew that. Um, favorite singer or band? Other than your own band? I'm gonna give it to Van Halen. Van Halen. Do you guys do some Van Halen we in your do. band? When's your next gig, by the way? We're gonna do something here this and, summer. And what's the name of the band? The Party Hounds. Party Hounds. The Party Hounds. Will you do us a favor? Is it, is it 80s stuff? Is it like Van yeah, Halen? Yeah, we can play anything. We play Nirvana. We play Alice in Chains. Before your next gig, will you come in here, back on the show, 
and we'll talk about some stuff and promote the game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so, so are you, you guys in are for you free. playing rhythm Party guitar, hats. lead guitar? What are you playing? I sing. I've been the singer. So it's my high school band. We've been together. Are you better than years. Kevin Costner's band? I think so. Okay. Um, I, I think we're actually pretty good. Good. The party the singers of the week. So you're not you're not playing you're not playing an instrument. You're the lead. Singer. I play guitar. Fortunately, too, the singer is the I least important guitar. thing in a yeah, band. Yeah. Okay. I will play guitar in this one because I'm starting to shred. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sit in with you guys. Starting so. to shred. Do you play? Yeah. Guitar. Guitar. Piano. Drums. What do you want? I'm in. Okay. So hey, we could practice in this undisclosed location. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> so, okay. We so might Van, need to do that. But, in but an Van Halen, location. it is right after Party Hounds, and then favorite breakfast cereal. Come on. Captain Crunch. Classic. Nice. Um, and we, we always tell everybody, we don't tell you before, but anybody that chooses like a healthy cereal without sugar on it, they're just... So they don't get invited. You know, because no, this no is a respect. sports show. This is no just where honesty reigns. I can promise you, if I pulled up this hoodie, you can tell I don't eat real. Yeah. That's... I, hey. Nutritious like. <laughs> I'm like. I'm a Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries guy. So um, your favorite WCC moment? Uh, the win at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. The we got there that night, the night before they had their paper out for the next day, and it had thirty two and all on it. Yeah, I remember that nineteen uh, two thousand seventeen. You got behind eighteen to two. Did you still feel that way? Oh no, I, I was looking for the escape hatch. Uh, which I was also that last game. The saddest part for me is our last game. That San Diego game was such a dud. Yeah, and I was looking for the. Oh man, that was hard. But yeah. that night up in Spokane. Once, once you got a couple of buckets to seal it, because it wasn't a Nate Austin block or something. This was uh, you were up, and this is how this was going to go. Uh, how nice was it to just uh, just stand there in the kennel and and let them know that BYU is coming, reign supreme. It was pretty awesome. Um, you know, the one cool thing we have are the two staffs. Like, there's so much respect and affinity for each other with Mark and his guys. Um, but even he, as we walked to shake hands, just had the sheepish grin on his face. Like you guys, man, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was cool because we couldn't, you know, we didn't make the tournament that year. Um, but we, we beat them Yeah, and, and you know, for us, that was, you know, that, that was something we were trying to grow it. We were trying to get beating them to be way more common than it ended up being. And, I think it just speaks to their excellence. You know, they're really, really, really good. People don't understand how hard it is to be as good as Mark and that crew is every single year after year. That's not easy. When uh, when you beat them again up there, what year was that with Austin's block? Was that before then? That was before. This is the year they were undefeated at number one. But which which was more satisfying, that one or this one? Uh, the undefeated beating a number one, you know, because I think they were like number two when you in when the you, other game. Very few, like if you look at number ones on the road, and that was really kind of fun to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and our team, I'm telling you, those guys we had that year were so tough. Uh, they fought through a bunch, and it was just neat to see them have kind of a memorable, cool moment that will never be forgot. Yeah, that right. was something else. All right. Okay, the, and the last one is your favorite Dave Rose coaching moment. Man, there's so many. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think I'll keep – I think his his ability to just get guys to believe, you know, I think that was his gift. For example? Um, I, I just think, you know, you look through the years, we had guys like – a guy like Brock Zilstra, you yeah. know, who came here as a walk-on. Um, but Coach just, you know, put him in the game. He liked him. He thought he was physical. He thought he was could be a shot maker. Um 
you know, he ended up being an experiment after Jimmer and playing the point guard for that one game, <laughs> which was which was hard. But uh, but I think that you know the, the memory I'll always remember of Brock is winning in that crazy environment, Southern Miss, and him making. It seemed like a hundred threes. I don't know how many he made, but <laughs> but it, but yeah. I just I use Brock as an example. I think a guy like Skylar Halford, you know, it didn't matter to coach your your status. He just wanted guys that wanted to go out there and play hard. He wanted guys that wanted to to win and and certainly do that by scoring. He, he definitely he got that from Guy. Yeah. He, he definitely wanted to score. Will there ever be a Jimmer Mania moment again at BYU? Well, I figure, what was Ainge? I mean, Ainge was 80, 79, 80. But, yeah. but, but that was so much different than Jimmer. Yeah, it was. But I, I mean, mean, I was a kid there watching the game, so it was, they were all important. But, but I think, you know, all, it's just fast forward and social media got a hold of it all. And, and that's media the itself. Right? Um, who knows, maybe 30 years from now. There'll be some. Every uh, 30? Maybe every 30, every 30 after Jimmer. So what would that be, 45, 44? Okay. Look for the next well, we're, guy. Well, we're here on this show in 44, and we, and we talk about it. Have you seen Ezekiel shoot it? <laughs> I've only, I, so only, I only have a 10-year contract for this deal, so I don't know if we'll be around. Who knows if we'll be around. <laughs> Who gives you that, Dave? Yeah, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I contract with him. He contracts with me. He's the, we're on 10-year, you yeah. know. 10-year retainer. retainers. Yeah, hey, so. give uh, our best to Rachel and your family. Was Christmas good? Christmas was awesome. And what's your number one New Year's resolution? Take more time for myself. I'm I'm constantly like a hamster on the wheel, and uh, I've got to figure out a way to be just a little more. Now you're kind of in our realm now that you're a jazz broadcaster. Yeah. It's a little different, dude. It's it's yeah, not hey, just tell yeah, folks what nobody what gets. Tell it. folks what you're doing with that. Because we, we told them about party hounds, but what about the jazz? Game? Okay, so I've got three. I, I do three. So. I have, the, I'm a general manager of a staffing agency called Spherion. Um, six locations up and down the Wasatch Front. Been around 15 years. And so I, I started in May running that or being the general manager of that for the owner. Um, so that's nuts. And then on top of that, Jazz play 82 games. You yeah, guys they know do. what that's like? It's crazy. What's We're fortunate like? to only have like, what, 13 football and 30 basketball? So, some years I've done, um, the most I've done is 46 basketball and 17 yeah, football. Yeah, I can't complain to you. 82 is a lot. You've done all that in and, corporate, and, and, but, too. But then, but then we've done – but then we've – in addition to that, we're doing – during football season, a studio show every week, podcast. Yeah. So we've – I think I've probably done 100 the top, That's why we can relate. Yeah, we can relate to it. We know it's, it's crazy. It's on the calendar. We're not we, a band, we but we can relate. Be, you have to be a little nuts to do it. We know that. No, you yeah, you got to be a lot of nuts to do it. But <laughs> you know what else you have to be? Passionate about. You have to be willing to be the village idiot, even when you're not. You by how it social comes. media and everyone reacts to what they choose to hear and what you say uh, are two very different things. And you just have to, you just have to have a thick skin. I, I, there's just, there's just no way everyone will like you, and you have to be okay with that. And in our, but it's in our nature, we want everyone to like no, us. No, exactly. I felt the same way coaching, too. Yeah, it was hard because sometimes you do. You just have to be the bad dude, you know. Uh, but my the way that I view the world, people to me, at the end of the day, I've been a lot of places, lived a lot of places, worked for a lot of places. But the stuff I remember is all tied to a person. P people really are the secret sauce. Um, it's how we tried to be as coaches. You know, I, I heard 
last night in the broadcast that pops big like that. You know, people, the people in his life are really, really that important. So I think as long as we keep it there, you know, um, I, I, I chuckle to it stuff that I, you know, that I heard about myself that, uh, Hey, he was only there because he, you know, was Dave Rose's best buddy and all this stuff. I didn't even know Dave until I came here. Um, the, the relationship kind of was made through the fire and, yeah. Those are the best kind, as you guys know. Yeah. The guys you yep. fight in the battles with and you go to work with, those ones, you know, like my deal with Nashif and Mike Hall and Dave Rice and Wardy, oh, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out, Popey and F- Fieger, and like they need something, we'll all be there. And everybody understands that. There's just an unwritten deal there. Yeah. Great. Tim Lacombe with us. We'll uh, listen to you on the jazz. This is the jazz are off tonight. That's why we're glad we could get you yeah, in. Perfect. On, on a Tuesday. And uh, best of luck. We look forward to you coming back, and we can ahead of the next Party Hounds gig. Yes, let's promote that. That's and we'll promote that. And and uh, who knows what kind of basketball season we'll be recapping ahead of joining the toughest league in America. Well, I'm I'm excited for it, and I think they got the right people there. You know, it's 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 fun to watch, and we'll just see how the season ends up for them. All right. Okay, we'll let you go out into the rain. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much, Tim. Great Podcast to see you, will be up tomorrow. We'll send it to you, and and uh, and then you can get some more feedback from everybody. On the rain. <laughs> all right let me tell you what we've got coming up next week ronnie jenkins byu running back the first byu sean uh, olmstead no, first i was gonna say first running back to run four three but i think scotty phillips ran four three back we'll ask him about that i think uh, I, think, I don't want to sell scott phillips short because i think no. scott ran in the four threes as well sean olmstead will be with us too in studio uh men's volleyball head coach yep. as they get ready for the new season danny ainge will be with us later in the month brian santiago is going to stop by we got a lot of administrative yeah, type questions i think for, for brian to be with people us. will uh, will want to know and and can ask uh on youtube and twitch and um so we've got we got a great month ahead to start the the new year let's talk about uh the bowl games they're now finally starting to get good, but, but let's just mention the ones that involve Big, Big, 12. Big 12 teams because yeah. that's, that's what we're into now. Yeah, so tonight you already mentioned this earlier, but the guarantee rate bowl, Oklahoma State against Wisconsin. I find myself with some Big 12 pride now. You have to, right? Like, I like Wisconsin, but I'm rooting for Oklahoma State because Big 12. That's, that's our league. That one starts in about 40 minutes from where we're speaking right. now, so that's a late one. Uh, the military bowl on Wednesday is Central Florida. They're taking on Duke. Yep, the Liberty Bowl, uh, Kansas and Arkansas. Big uh, time for a, Kansas. They don't usually it. go to bowl games. Yeah. Interesting. Like you're going to notice, BYU has been in bowls in recent years as an independent. They played P5s during the season, mm-hmm. but not very often are they getting P5s in bowl games. Moving forward, most of these games are going to be against P5s. Just about every one. Yep. Just yep. about every so, one. Texas Bowl on Wednesday, Texas Tech and Ole Miss. That's Jackson Dart going up against the Red Raiders. Yep, and then the Cheez-It Bowl. Oklahoma is going to play Florida State on Thursday. And a couple of players get to stay in the Cheez-It Room. The Cheez-It Room. Yep. And and you know what? The Cheez-It Bowl sounds like a cheesy bowl. But uh, BYU would love to be in the Cheez-It Bowl. Cheez-It Bowl is good. And I don't want to be one of those players in that gaudy yellow and red room. That would be a sleepless night. Alamo Bowl is also on Thursday. That will be Texas. Against Washington. We'll pull for Texas and Steve Sarkeesian yep. for at least a season. Yeah, then when they go to the SEC, then, then they're, they're on their own. Then they're, then they're on. We don't care about them anymore. So how about the Sugar Bowl, Kansas State and Alabama on Saturday? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. That's going to be interesting because Kansas State is the one that's going in with the edge. Mm-hmm. But all Alabama's players are playing in it. Quarterback, we're playing the game. No one's opting out. Yeah, I, I have so much respect for that. 
Yeah. Unlike Ohio State, who came to the Rose Bowl last year to play Utah and said, oh, we got 19 guys aren't playing. Right. Because the Rose Bowl doesn't matter. And they've even had guys withdraw, and they're in the playoff this year. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like this. It does, does nothing no matter. No respect for that. So does nothing matter. Respect for Bama. How, and then the Fiesta Bowl, of course, and the college football playoff uh, semifinal, TCU will face Michigan. That's a great game on Saturday. Yeah, I don't Defense know who's gonna versus win offense. I don't know who's going to win that fun. one. Uh, but I like Harbaugh. There's something about Harbaugh yeah, I like. Discipline, toughness. Yeah, I like him too. Cougars in the NFL, speaking of big games, and they're starting They're starting to be super meaningful. Uh, Sunday, January 1st. Yeah, the Cardinals and the Falcons. Tyler Algier with the Falcons having a great season. He's chasing a big game. He, I think he can get to 1,000 yards. Hey, on fantasy, they projected him to get 18 points this week. So there starting you go. in this week. Yep. Starting. Bears at the Lions. Jamal Williams. Also having a great season. He's having a great year. And the Lions, they blew it last week. And the freezing cold, but they're home against the Bears and a chance to um, get to the playoffs. I think they still have a shot at that. Yeah, and then how about, how about the Saints with Taysom Hill and Danny Sorensen? They'll be at the Eagles, who are having a phenomenal season. How about you get the ball to Taysom? Something yeah. good happens every time. They need to get to him more. Brady Christensen and the Panthers are at the Bucks, And then the Browns, um, Sione's hurt, so he's not playing, but was with the Browns. Um, they're at the Commanders. Dax Milne's been returning punts and getting a few reps at wide receiver for the Commanders. Uh, the Vikings are playing the Packers, uh, and Kairos Tonga is playing. Made a big tackle the other day. That's right. That's so right. Um, so it's glad to see uh, Kairos back in the league. That's right. Um, how about the Niners and the Raiders with uh, our, our guy Fred Warner? Is he not the best player in the NFL? He's the best linebacker in the Defensive NFL. Defensive guy. Yeah, best linebacker. Zach Wilson back on the bench uh, as the Jets play the Seahawks. And then uh, Kyle Van Noy and Michael Davis, who lit it up last night on Monday Night Football. Davis had a pick. Van Noy had some super big hits. They clinched a playoff spot for the Chargers. Chargers in the playoffs. And they're home against the Rams. Well, we're going to – and by the way, we're going to start a campaign. Zach Wilson to the Niners. That's the campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Or just Zach Wilson to somewhere else. Yeah. How about Zach Wilson to the Eagles? Anywhere that's better than the Jets. Just about every team needs a better backup than they currently have. And that's okay for Zach to go to a team and be a back. He's still a young kid. Let him learn it. Let Let him him learn from there. That's what Steve Young did. Steve Young was – people forget how miserable Steve Young was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were horrible. Yeah. And then – He was like, get me out of here. Then he went to the Niners. I'll go back up anybody. Backed up Joe Montana, learned the game, and all that happened was he became a Hall of Famer. And he had to wait. He had to wait. And, And the Tampa fans weren't even as brutal as the Jets fans. No. Because the Tampa fans knew they were bad. They know. Yeah. And the 49er fans know what it's like to win, which the Jet fans do not. Yeah. So they're so just they're, they're all over the place. It's that time of year, and this is our last show uh, before uh, we ring in 2023, which is amazing to say. And so we thought, well, let's spend a little bit uh, before we do this day in history on resolutions in mm-hmm. our final minutes the, here. The top 10 most week. popular, right? Yeah, this is according to Ghost Skills. Dot com. See where uh, these fit on your list of serious New Year's resolutions. Number one, exercise more. It's on everybody's, I think. Yeah. Yep. Uh, lose weights, number two. Yep, that's on mine. I got, I'm going to drop 15 LBs in the next couple weeks. Um, how about get organized, number three. Always popular. Number four, most popular, learn a new skill or hobby. Yeah, I need to learn several new skills and get a couple of hobbies. I don't have a hobby. Number five. You don't even have time for a hobby. No. Number five, live life to the fullest. How is that a resolution? It's because you're going to stop and smell the roses. How do you just say stop and smell the roses? (laughs) One time when I was a kid, 
I stopped and smelled the roses across the street from my neighbor's house, and then I picked a whole bunch and took them home and gave them to my mother, who got mad at me for fleecing the Roylance's flower bed. And then later, years later, she came around to say, you know what, I should have focused on my son bringing me flowers yeah. and not my son stealing the Roylance's so, so flowers. a lesson learned. Lesson learned, Do, Mom. But am I wrong, or do roses actually not smell good? I don't know. They seem like they smell nice, but there were others in the okay. in the flower bed too. I think they do. You know, what's, what's you know when song? you get hey, roses DJ, for your wife, they smell the good. What's the song by uh, where roses really smell like? You know, Outcast. Outcast with roses really smell like poo. Is what they say. Who sang the rose? Who sang the rose? Bette Midler. Yeah, but she didn't say it, it smelled good. good. No, I think so. roses smell fine, and we wouldn't get them for our wives. Yeah. Well, and Billy Joel, every time he. Touched a rose. He only felt a thorn. There's a lot of songs about roses. None that say they smell good. So there you go. Um, Paper roses. We'll yeah. ask Marie when she's okay, in there. So, so save, uh, number six, save more money and spend less money. That is a resolution that I, there's someone significant in my life that I wish to take that on. Wow. <laughs> Wait, are our initials? Save more money. Does their initials spend begin with Spend less money. Does their initials begin with a D? Let's move right to number seven. Okay, quit smoking. <laughs> Quit smoking. Uh, spend time with families, number eight. Number nine, travel more. Number ten, to read more. Nine, I'm putting up to one. Travel more? Yep. Ten is read more. I'm putting that to 11. I added number 11. And 11, watch and listen to the wise guys more often. Yeah, that, should, that should be up there. On the, those are the top ten most popular. And now here comes the top five resolutions you should never make, according to realbuzz.com. So we're and we'll go five down five. to number one. Join a gym straight away. Yeah. They're saying, like, don't just join a gym because you'll be out of there in two weeks. Yeah. Get some shoes. Make a plan. Yeah, research it. Research do, it yeah, out. Decide what you're going to do. Uh, number four, lose X amount of weight. Big numbers don't work. They say start small. Someone say, I'm going to lose 15 pounds in the next two weeks. Or I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. No, I- I'm going to lose the weight. <laughs> Brenda said to me, I said to her the other day, I need to lose... 15 pounds. She goes, if you want to lose 15 pounds of ugly fat, you should cut your head off. She did not say that. Was that and by that, the way, this is according to realbuzz.com. Nice. These are the resolutions you should never make, and you've already and th- chosen that you're going to make says, one. says, find someone to marry. <laughs> so you yeah. can't make that a resolution. That just has to naturally happen. It just has happen. to naturally happen. You, you can't go, just, you frustrate yourself. You beyond. know what? This year, I'm getting married. That's not smart. How about the number two resolution you should never make? Join a band. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna join the party, the party hounds. hounds. I, don't, I don't know if you are I'm not. Probably gonna join them. the party hound is left, so we can say that. Yeah, that's the number two resolution that you should never make. Join a band. And number one, it shouldn't be a resolution. You might do it, but your resolution shouldn't be. You know what? This year, I'm gonna quit my job. <laughs> it's just not. A never good do one. it. That's not. That's never. Not a, never. No do one it. wins. Nope. No this one wins year, when you, you do know, it. This year, I'm determined. I will quit my job. <laughs> okay. Before we head down the home stretch. Give us three resolutions for the BYU football team in 2023. Okay, These are so Blaine Fowler's New Year's resolutions for BYU football. Number one, I'm doing it in, in regular order, not in reverse order. Number one, do whatever it takes in the offseason to have fewer injuries in 2022. Well, they changed the strength staff. Yep, so I'm t- that's the, the resolution is figure it out. Don't have six linebackers get hurt next year. Figure it out. So be healthy. That's a good one. That, so, okay, number, number two. Number two, create the most reliable NIL system in college football. 
I didn't say get the most money and pay the most. I said actually deliver on what you promise and you will get guys. So create because the most reliable. Because a lot reliable, of people are making promises they have no intention of Create the of most keeping. reliable and honest NIL program in college football. Well, that's a good one. And I can hardly three, wait. So what's number three? Um, You know what? <laughs> I, I was saying. Are you I, feeling I, sheepish on number yeah, three? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Go ahead. You need to step up to the plate, BYU. You're in the Big 12. You need to pay your coaches and all of your staff and everybody Big 12 wages. Can't lag behind any longer. Got to step up and do it. these down. Across, across all programs, really. But you said this was football. Yeah. So big time for football. Step up to the plate and pay what the Big 12 pay, pays. So Three great football resolutions from Blaine Fowler, which we will um, chart through the year. There we go. See how we're doing. December 27th, that's when we uh, air this show. Uh, for the podcast, you're getting it uh, the next day or a few days later or whenever. We're just glad but, you're but listening to it. this is what happened it. on the 27th. But here's what happened on December 27th uh, over the course of time. In 1850, the Hawaiian Fire Department was established. I think that's significant. Yeah, you know, well, they got volcanoes over there. Yeah, before that, they were just like, just let it burn. They had a let it burn policy. Let the trade winds come in and yep, blow it out. Just let it burn. If it catches on fire, it was meant to be. 1904 on this day, the stage play Peter Pan debuts in London. That was big. It was the start of a lot of stuff. Yeah. It, eventually, it led to Hook, which I liked. So. <laughs> yes, it did. In 1932, Radio City Music Hall opens in New York City. I think we've all driven by it, walked past it. You haven't Either. been in it? I haven't been in it. You've never been to the Rockettes no. Christmas Spectacular? No. Dude, I, I don't got time you. for the rock. I finally took you to a Broadway musical two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't have enough time for the Rockettes in my life. Okay. Uh, 1945, the World Bank is created by 28 nations. Yeah, it's not doing so well right now. In 1964, the Supremes debuted on the Ed Sullivan Show. Ed Sullivan launched a bunch of careers. He was the man. How would you like to be Ed Sullivan? when you, The Beatles, what do we got tonight? The Stones, who are they? Ads, the, the Beatles. So the Beatles are coming not on. Not so much. So. <laughs> 1971. On this day, the first Fiesta Bowl was played between Arizona State and Florida State. BYU played in the Fiesta Bowl three years later, which was their first bowl game in 1974 against Kansas State. Now the Cougars beat SMU last week in the New Mexico Bowl in their 40th bowl game in program history. Yeah, BYU is a, a bowl regular. More, more than most programs in the country. So how about 1979, Knott's Landing debuted on CBS? Kind, kind of, of a, a spinoff. Kind of a spinoff. Uh, it was only, it was good. My friends and I watched it, but we were Dallas fans. Occasionally, JR would go over there and visit, mm-hmm. see what's going on and yep. mix it up. Uh, but that was Knott's Landing. And then 1987 on this day, Steve Largent sets the NFL record for career receptions with 752 with the Seahawks. Yeah. And they weren't even good back in Remember those Remember Jim Zorn was yeah, the quarterback? Yeah, they weren't even good, and he was catching all kinds of balls. So, so that uh, all those things happen on this day uh, over history. Now for the birthdays. Yeah, 1822. Louis Pasteur is, is uh, born in 1822. And he invented pasteurization. Where, where would we be without that? Wait, didn't, didn't Louis Pasteur have something to do with... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of which vaccination Louis uh, Pasteur was involved in. But anyhow... Pasteurization was big. Yeah. I mean, like, 
Or else the cream floats to the top of your milk. It's like, would we even be eating cold cereal without no, no, that Louis Pasteur? Sure. 1962, Bill Self. Happy birthday to the coach of Kansas. And then on 1962, on the very same day. How could Gonzaga's coach Mark Few and Kansas's coach Bill Self have the same birthday? They've got it. Two of the best coaches in the history of the game. Birthdays. Today, we wish him a happy birthday. And they're both a little older than me. And we're going to see Gonzaga twice this year, and we're going to see Kansas twice Twice every year. year. Yeah, so December 27th, deaths. Stephen F. Austin helped colonize Texas. 1836, he passed away. There's a university named after him, right? Yeah, how about this one? 1923, Gustav Eiffel, who designed the Eiffel Tower. So, How do you think he'd feel about the one in Vegas? He's going to be like, Paris. way, way too small. It's a lot closer. Yeah, way too small. So, uh, have you been to the one in Paris? No, but I watched Superman. You got to go. Oh, it's it Superman cool. 2? That, wait a minute. No, what kind of an answer is that? I believe have Superman you, 2 got the uh, ever, nuclear weapon. Have you ever been to the Eiffel Tower Powers? No, but I've watched <laughs> Superman. It, there was a, there was a bomb there at the top of the tower, and he flew out and it exploded in space, and it released General Zod and his two compadres. Jack, then DJ, they came to Earth. That's not an okay answer. Please help me here. Have you ever been to the Eiffel Tower? No, but I watched Superman. No, does not count. It was Superman too. Opening scene does not count toward anything. I feel like I've been there. 2012, General Norman Schwarzkopf passes away. 2015, Meadowlark Lemon passed away on this day. I love Meadowlark Lemon. 2016, Carrie Fisher from Star Wars passed away. Princess Leia. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Hmm. I'm trying to think of which. You know what? The very the very first one because I was still in one like I, like it was seventy seven. Yeah, because and we went we went to a, I we went to see it. Oh, my whole family went to see it at the movies, and it was just such a new like every every one was good, every sequel was good, but the very first one was amazing, in wonderment. What's your favorite? Uh, I think Jedi, Return of the Jedi. Is it? You know when they, uh, when when you know when Luke saved his dad. Yeah, that stuff. That was good. Yeah. It's so corny now when you watch it graphically compared to the new ones they've yeah, made. And the special effects back at the first one. But the bad, story but was good. Yeah, Harrison Ford was good in that it all one. Off, so okay. Um, so uh, those are the those who passed away on December twenty yep. seventh. Couple of notes before we go. Uh, Saturday night, New Year's Eve. We'll see you on BYU TV nine Eastern time. Seven Mountain Time, BYU and Portland. And Portland has got some nice wins this year. They're not the pilots that used to no, come in here. they're and, not your mother's pilots. They're not your, your mother's, grandmother's pilots. Mother's pilots. First New Year's Eve game at BYU. Not afternoon. We're talking prime time. Wyatt Lowell is on the Pirates. Wyatt was on BYU's roster 2019-2021. Big 6'10", three-point shooter out of Gilbert, yeah, Arizona. Right. Remember he left? Yeah. And then he went to Snow. I thought he had and such, now he's at Portland. Such, had some injuries, and had, had, I thought he had such promise. Hey, by the way, um, uh, Greg Roma, uh, Romano reminded us, BYU played Oklahoma State in that 74 Fiesta Bowl, not Kansas State. Did I say Kansas State? Yeah, we, he just read it wrong. But, but, but oh, Oklahoma yeah, State, thanks, but, Oak State, 16-6. Wasn't, to wasn't six. Terry Miller the running back? Or? No, that was the Tangerine Bowl against That's Oklahoma right, State. That's right, that was Tangerine, uh, yeah. Oklahoma State, um, they uh, separated Gary's. Who, shoulder. Right. Who was the running back? Was that Thurman Thomas? 
I don't know. He was an Oklahoma State guy, but that might have been too early for Thurman yeah, Thomas. I, I just felt like that. When does Oklahoma State not have a great running back? Yeah. They always do. So. They beat us. Uh, they got lucky because had Shady not got hurt. Thank, thanks, Greg. Uh, for, yeah, thanks for, thanks for reminding We'll us. say a lot of things on this show that probably need yep. a yep. third or fourth look. need to be corrected. We appreciate you guys checking up on us. Keaton Slovis will be on BYU Sports Nation on Thursday, noon Eastern. Don't miss that. 10 a.m. Mountain Time, BYU TV, BYU Radio. I believe that will be his first interview. I, I, I'm telling you, pe- people are going to re- – Really, when you have him on the interview, my, my just meeting with him and visiting with he and his parents, people are going to like Keaton a lot. He's very well spoken, very nice young man. Cannon arm, lots of experience. Yep, six three. He's played nothing but P fives. So going to the Big Twelve, big deal. Aaron Roderick's got a lot of ideas, yeah, and uh, and he's got getting a lot of tools around him. So that'll be that'll be Thursday next week. Ronnie Jenkins and men's head volleyball coach Sean Olmstead. And, and, and by the way, we still have it. At some point, we're going to make an announcement about Puka Nakua. Yeah, he still p- hasn't made a decision, so we haven't heard anything. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Um, remember, subscribe. Go to YouTube, Twitch, wiseguys.com. Sign up for all that stuff. It's free. Uh, you'll get a little notification of when we're coming on. Yeah. You'll get highlight clips and in the our only email. Way I'm going to get to live out my ten-year contract with you on this deal <laughs> and with Jack and with D- and DJ is if. People subscribe, so we need yeah, to subscribe. We do need to subscribe. The podcast will be up tomorrow morning. Have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2023. Thanks, everybody. See you in 2023. And we'll see you Saturday, too, at the on the last day. On BYU day TV for the last game of 2022. <laughs> Good night. See you then.